Good evening, Vacville. This is the regularly scheduled city council meeting for March 28th, 2023. Can I start with a roll call? Council Agency Authority Member Stockton? Here. Richie? Here. Silva? Here. Chapman? Here. Roberts? Vice Mayor, Vice Chair Wiley? Here. Mayor Chair Carley? Here. All right, would you uh, please rise and we'll have a moment of silence. All right, uh, next on the item is approval of the agenda. Do we have any changes? No, we do not, Mr. Mayor. All right, do we have a motion? Motion approved. Second. All right, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, next is the uh, approval of the minutes. The minutes are for the meeting for March 14th. Do I have a motion? Motion All in favor? Aye. 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 Having no presentations, we're gonna move to consent. And uh, any member of the council wanna pull an item tonight? Seeing none, any member of the public wishing to pull an item from the consent calendar tonight? Seeing none, do I have a motion? All right, we have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. It, motion passes. We'll move on to uh, the item. Let's look at my calendar here. We're going to go to business from the floor. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. I'm just moving at a speedy pace here. Okay. So this is a time when anyone from the, the public who wishes to speak before us that's not on agenda tonight, uh, you can come to the podium. You have three minutes. Again, if it's, if it's only for an item that's not on the agenda, but it is within the council's jurisdiction. Open it up. Seeing no one, I will close business from the floor and we will, we will move on to uh, public hearings. Item eight, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the City Council. This first item before you tonight is the approval of the Vacaville Housing Authority Housing Choice Voucher Program, as well as the annual Public Housing Agency Plan. Uh, Tamara Colden from our Housing and Community Services Department is here with a presentation for you tonight. Good evening, Mayor Carley, Vice Mayor Wiley, and Council members. Uh, tonight, I am presenting the Vacaville Housing Authority Annual Agency Plan and Moving to Work Supplemental Plan. Uh, tonight's action for consideration is for the Housing Authority Board to approve the Vacaville Housing Authority Annual Public Housing Agency Plan and Moving to Work Supplemental Plan. The Housing Choice Voucher Program is administered by the Vacaville Housing Authority and is designed to assist very low income families, elderly and disabled participants find and maintain housing. The Vacaville Housing Authority is currently allocated 1,392 vouchers that allow participants to find housing on their own on the private market. The Vacaville Housing Authority pays out approximately 12 and a half million 
dollars in rental subsidy into the local economy each year uh, as uh, for rent payments. As a condition to continue to receive funding, the Vacaville Housing Authority must submit an annual plan each year to discuss the progress made towards the goals of the five-year agency plan. In addition, on February 14th of this year, uh, as the Housing Authority Board, you voted to approve the Moving to Work Amendment to the annual contributions contract for the Vacaville Housing Authority to become a Move to Work agency. The Vacaville Housing Authority is now required to submit an annual Moving to Work supplemental plan in addition to the annual agency plan. The annual plan includes responses to all the elements listed here, such as new activities planned for the year and comments from the resident advisory board who have reviewed the plan. This year in the annual agency plan, you will see the activities planned to be added as, uh, as part of becoming a moving to work agency. And in the moving to work supplemental plan, you will see um, items listed here and include in moving to work waivers and associated activities planned by the Vacaville Housing Authority and public comments to the plan. This year, the plan mirrors what was submitted to HUD during the demonstration application process. So the moving to work plan that was developed and established and reviewed by you as the Housing Authority Board for the Vacaville Housing Authority to become a move to work agency, the plan pretty much mirrors the activities that were presented during that plan and include activities such as uh, moving towards triennial recertifications for participants who receive at least 90% of their income from a fixed source, and the establishment of a landlord participation program um, that includes combining activities such as um, establishing a um, damage claim fund for landlords, uh, vacancy loss payments, and um, lease up or incentive payments for new units. In preparation of the plans, the Vacaville Housing Authority held two public meetings for the Public and Resident Advisory Board to attend to review and provide comment on the plans. These meetings were held uh, one in the, on February 21st and the second on March 2nd. In addition, the plans were made available on the city's website for the public to review for the 45-day comment period leading up to tonight's public hearing. There are no amount of funds requested for this item as preparation of the plans are included in the operating budget for the housing grants programs. And tonight's staff is recommending that you hold the public hearing and following the public hearing, accept any comments provided by the public or housing authority board members and consider approval of the annual agency plan and move to work supplemental plan. Um, if approved, those plans will be submitted to HUD by the April 17th uh, deadline in order to be implemented starting July 1st of 2023. And with that, I'm happy to answer any comments from the board or from the public and accept any comments to the plan. Thank you. I will um, ask the, anyone on the council with any questions for the presentation. Okay, I, I have a couple here. I'll start with Councilmember Silva. All right, thank you. Oh, it's good to see you. Um, so uh, I'll just uh, list them out and if you need me repeat them, it's okay. Um, so part of these are is coming from feedback 
from a residence opportunity house and just generally throughout the community. So I'm just relaying uh, their questions. Uh, number one, is there some type of audit process uh, to make sure those who are on Section 8 uh, truly do qualify for Section 8? Um, so that way other folks who need access to Section 8 to find a unit to get themselves, uh, particularly at Opportunity House, have access to that. So some type of audit process. Uh, number two, um, are there more Section 8 vouchers available than there are units? Or is it the other situation, more units than Section 8 uh, vouchers? And then number three, uh, what units, uh, what type of units are eligible? So would it be like a single use, uh, um, a room or an ADU of some sort? Does it have to be its own standalone unit? And the last fourth question is there some type, what would be the process for someone if they want to provide Section 8 housing uh, for someone on Section 8, where would they go to? Okay, all good questions. I will try to remember and answer them in order. So your first question, is there some type of audit process to ensure continue eligibility for the program? Um, and so at uh, initial lease up or when an applicant comes onto the program, they do provide documentation to prove that they are both income, they're income eligible for the program and they meet the preferences that they applied for or that they uh, claim that they qualified for. Um, to get on the waiting list. And so we review their income documentation. We do a background check at that time uh, at the staff level to ensure eligibility for the program. And then each year after that, we conduct annual recertifications. So that's when we notify participants that it's time for them to submit all their eligibility documents to us to, again. So any income documentation, asset documentation, so that it can be reviewed to ensure that they um, are eligible to continue to receive payments towards their share of rent and utilities. Um, so be, uh, I'm sorry, uh, towards their share of rent. Um, it is determined by the income that they're receiving at that time. There's a calculation that we go through. So the amount that they're eligible to receive may change, it may increase, it may decrease, um, but we do do that on an annual basis for participants. Um, your second question, um, how, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Yeah, it's okay. Um, are there more Section 8 vouchers available than there are available units? Or is it the other situation where we have more units available for or willing to take um, on Section 8? So uh, please let me know if I'm not answering your question, but um, the amount of vouchers that the Vacaville Housing Authority has available to allocate to participants on the waiting list, um, at this current moment, we do have vouchers available and we do um, continued pulls each month. Um, or continued eligibility determinations to issue vouchers so that applicants can search for units on the street. Um, our goal is to always, and especially when we're talking about launching the landlord uh, participation program, is try to uh, make finding those units uh, easier and to increase participation and um, new units available to clients looking for housing to increase that and make it easier for clients to locate and lease up in, um, uh, in units. But um, I'm not sure that I have information that would suggest there's not an, that I, I would not be able to say that there's not necessarily enough units for people to try to search for. Um, but lack of affordable units can be an issue. Um, so it just, it really just depends on um, how many vouchers on the street, how many vacancies there are on the market. 
um, for participants to try to, to lease up in units. I understand. Uh, thank you. And then, sorry, the last two were what type of units are would be eligible for mm -hmm. Section 8? And yes. what would uh, home, a landlord or whoever be yeah. able to go? So um, the unit has to pass a minimum housing quality standards. It can be an apartment in a multifamily complex. It could be an ADU in someone's uh, backyard. It could be someone renting out a single family uh, home. Uh, and it all could also be, um, when you say a room, we refer to that as shared housing. So that is an eligible use for the vouchers. A participant can lease up in a room in someone's house and we would determine you know, how much rent we would pay. Um, towards that, but that is an eligible use for the vouchers for um, app for participants. And then um, in order for an owner of a unit or a, a home to make the home available for someone to uh, rent who is a Section 8 participant, they could call our office. We try, <clears throat> we keep a refer um, landlords that they can list their unit on uh, what we call Go Section 8, which is uh, database of units that we point residents to whenever they're asking us for units. And then we also keep a list of units of landlords who contact us and say they have something available and they're willing to participate in the program because we know who's searching and we might be able to recommend that they go to that unit or let them know that it's available. So we do keep a list of available units as well. And so anyone who's ready and willing to participate in the program, we're more than happy to welcome them uh, to participate in the program. They can give our office a call and we will work with trying to refer an eligible family to that landlord. It's very easy for them to participate if they've never participated in the program before. We would schedule an inspection of the unit, make sure it meets minimum housing quality standards. We would provide them the vendor forms that they would need in order to be set up as a vendor for our program. Uh, and then we would process that, that lease up for the family that's eligible and they would begin to receive payments. Thank you. Thank you for the information. This question is kind of related to what Councilmember Silva just asked. So, so is there a waiting list for this program? Yes, so there is a current active waiting list for the Vacaville Housing Authority. That list is currently at about four, plus or minus 400 right now. 400, that's a, that's a huge number. So how long could someone anticipate being on the waiting list? So we recently updated our administrative plan to only place as many participants on the list that it would take us to move through in about 24 to 36 months. We have been delayed in the last couple of years with um, COVID, but that is our goal to try to move through that list in 24 to 36 months so that people aren't waiting for an extended amount of time. So do you know if someone got housing, would they then call, contact your office and say, take me off the list or would they have to be paying for housing and continue to wait on the list so that they might get help with housing? Yeah, so um, applicants on the list may be currently residing in housing. Typically what happens is when we get, when their name reaches the top of the list and we invite them in, they can choose not to, um, they can call us and say, I'm no longer interested. And then we know that they're not gonna come in and 
um, uh, apply for a voucher or finish the eligibility process, but they're not required to contact our office and remove their name from the list. So does that just happen occasionally that someone says remove me from the list or is it half the time that they say remove me from the list? So if um, for the Vacaville Housing Authority, when we do pulls off the list, I'd say normally what happens is about 20% of the people pulled just don't show up. Um, so for a variety of reasons, uh, they just do not respond to the invite. Could be that their contact information has changed or something that you could, so. Could, it, so it, yes, so the, the last question I have is just kind of help me with my understanding. So you said we have about almost 1400 vouchers for private market, private market vouchers. That's, so something like the Pony Express, the senior housing, is that considered private market? Or what do you mean when you say private market? Yeah, so, or what's the opposite of private market? Is yeah, what so the Housing Authority has allocated the 1392 in housing choice vouchers. We can project base some of those housing choice vouchers where we choose to tie some of them to a project. We can project base up to 20% of our allocation and that process happens through an RFP. So we release an RFP, a project may, might apply, and then we would determine how many vouchers we would give to that project. So Pony Express is an example of project-based vouchers that are tied to the unit. There's project-based vouchers at Lincoln Corner and some of the other, uh, some of the other um, housing projects here in Vacaville, but that is part of that 1392 number. Oh, that's part of that 13. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Thank you. A couple of questions. Aside from uh, the information regarding the public hearings being placed on the website, the city's website, how else do you notify the public? Yeah, so we also work with the public information officer to try to get the dates on the city's Facebook page and social media pages to get that information out. Um, we will also, um, sorry. Uh, so that goes out in the paper. It goes out on the um, social media page and on the back of Bill's social uh, webpage and social media sites. So it does, the public notice also goes out in the back of Bill reporter. Reporter. Um, okay, we do have residents or individuals that who are not um, connected, you know, um, through social media and do not receive the local paper. Um, could consideration be uh, put into how else we may be able to communicate with that group of individuals? I think it's a large group. Yes, we do um, try to make sure that we um, can get out into the community and post notices at any local markets, okay. um, at any um, house, uh, apartment complex of multifamily units, places that might have a community room or a leasing office or something like that, uh, especially when we're making changes wow. or proposed changes to the administrative plan or any other plan. Wonderful. And um, second, how many, I may not know, how many residents do you think might have participated in the process? How many residents participated I mean, in the- When you put the notice out um, and you were holding the public hearings and all, um, did you have individuals to actually attend? 
Uh, yes, let me look at the notes on that. We did include the summary of the public here, public meetings. while you're searching. And the reason I'm asking that question is housing is a, of a major concern for many here in Vacaville, and not only here in Vacaville, but every place. Yes. I apologize. I can get that information for you. Okay. I don't see it, the attachment included here in, with the agenda, but we do have the summary of the public meeting or of the public meetings that does include how many attended and the comments from the participants. Thank you. Councilmember Stockton. Just real quick, thank you for the presentation and I apologize if I missed this, but can some of the folks that are interested in signing up for, for the Section 8 vouchers, can they apply at multiple cities and is there any sort of regionalized effort to consolidate the effort if they want to live within a geographical area, you know, close to family or something like that? So currently the way, that's a good question. Um, the way that it works is each housing authority operates and administers their program individually. So uh, an applicant could not apply, let's say for the Fairfield Housing Authority waitlist and then also be on Vacaville's waitlist. They would have to apply for those waiting lists individually when the waitlists are open and accepting applications. Is, is that because of state law or is that because there's no regionalized effort to consolidate uh, the availability of these uh, houses for, for people regionally? Yeah, for the um, Housing Choice Voucher Program, those, uh, those programs are operated according to HUD and federal um, requirements and regulations. Um, I'm sorry, I don't, I do not know off the top of my head and I can't find that information out. Um, if there is something precluding housing authorities from participating in a joint effort. Um, but at this time, there is not a joint effort that I'm aware of between any of the housing authorities in Solano County to administer or, or, or have some type of joint list. Thank you. With that, I'm gonna open this uh, hearing up to the public. Anyone wishing to comment on this? <laughs> You can come to the podium if you like. Good evening. Silver, council members, audience. How long is the waiting list? Three years, 25 years? Before you can get section eight. Sir, one, just direct the questions to me and then I'll, I'll be able okay, to Okay, you can look. You can ask as many questions How as you long want. are you going to be in the wait list before you can get section eight? One year, five years before you can get in. And then you're already working, making money. Now you can't. It's there to help. Well, now, not next year. You can ask. I got another one later. Is that all the questions you had? You have you have your time, so if you wanted to continue, okay. Anybody, anyone else wishing to address the, uh, the the council on this hearing? Seeing none, I'm going to close the public portion of this hearing and bring it back to the council for any further discussion before a motion. 
Seeing none, do I have a motion? We can, but it was already asked and answered. Yeah. That's okay. I'm sorry. Can we repeat? That's all right. So yeah. So unfortunately, there's no set wait time for the waiting list. Um, we recently uh, updated the administrative plan so that we could try to reduce that wait time to, to between 24 and 36 months, um, so that we can work through the waiting list and all the people on the waiting list. We have the opportunity to offer assistance to, um, but that could be longer um, depending on the funding available and vouchers available to. Uh, give out so but we do aim to try to work through that list within 24 to 36 months vice mayor well just one more question about the list since a while ago you were talking about fairfield and vacaville and you said when the list is open so is our list open only on certain times or is our list always open or how does what do you mean when the list is open yes our wait list is not open all the time um, so, and right now the waiting list is currently closed for the Vacaville Housing Authority. When we plan to open the list, we are required to provide the public notice at least 10 business days to the list before the list opens. And then we're required to provide the public with the information on how to apply, when to apply, and how long the list will remain open. When was it last open? So it was last open in um, September of 2019 is when the last time the list, I believe so. I can get that information and confirm, um, but for a Vacaville Housing Authority, I believe it was last open in September of 2019. All right, uh, do we have a motion? We have a, we have a motion and a second. second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Uh, thank you. Uh, the one the one thing I will let you know, uh, gentlemen in the back, you can uh, speak to the chief of police. We're going to make a connection because I've been trying to get a hold of you on some other other ways to assist. So thank you for coming tonight. Mr. City Manager, what do we have next? Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the City Council. This next item before you is the uh, receiving the 2022 General Plan Annual Progress Report. Josh Montemayor, our Assistant uh, Community Development Director, is here to make a presentation for you. Good evening, Mayor Carly and council members. Uh, as City Manager Bush um, introduced, I am Assistant Director Joshua Montemayor for the Community Development Department, and I'm gonna be providing the 2002 General Annual Progress Report. And just to give you a brief roadmap of where we're headed this evening, I'm gonna go over what the Annual Progress Report is about, then I'll explain what the Regional Housing Need Allocation is, and lastly, give you some implementation highlights and status of several policy documents that we have urging out the Community Development Department. So the APR or annual progress report is a routine annual progress report that's delivered every single year to the city council and then transmitted to the office of planning and research and housing and community development department um, for the state of California by April 1st. I'm going to move rather quickly too. So if you have any questions uh, again, I'm at the end, but um, we have 25 slides we got to get through. So um, reading the annual general annual sorry, reading the general plan annual report. This year has been organized into major sections and appendices culminate into an over 250 page report. So when you open up the report, it's uh, really revamped and more hopefully more fun to read for the council this year. And again, it's broken up into sections as listed on the screen. 
So I'll jump first into talking about what RENA is. Again, RENA stands for Regional Housing Needs Allocation. And RENA is determined by the Association of Bay Area Governments, otherwise known as ABAG. And ABAG gives each municipality in the Bay Area region, specifically here in Solano County, and then to the municipalities, how much units are to be produced within that city every RENA cycle. Right now, we're, we're transitioning from RENA 5 to RENA 6. RENA 5 captures the um, years of 2015 to 2022. And then RENA 6 is 2022 through 2031, I believe. Um, so right now we're in the transition phase. So right now I'm just reporting on what happened in fifth cycle, the fifth cycle arena. This chart shows the units produced in Vacaville between 2015 to 2022. And what we're showing here is three different residential unit types of single family homes, multifamily homes and accessory dwelling units. This is just to give you an overall perspective of how the development trends has happened in the city of Vacaville. And so the state allocates a number of income based uh, units, so they dictate how many units should be produced at each income level. So above moderate, below moderate, above market, below market. Um, and the state does this, does this to ensure that every community provides an opportunity of mixed affordable housing types, so it hits all economic segments of the population. So just to give you an overview though, in Vacaville is predominantly single family dwelling units as we all know, and over 2,500 units were produced over the last eight years of just detached single family homes. And multifamily units, we only produce about 690. So multifamily is like apartment buildings. So what I'm gonna dive into right now is just going over the major subdivision developments across the entire city, starting off with District 1. District 1, we had three major subdivision developments, which included North Village, Cheyenne, and the reserves at Browns Valley. Mostly these homes are all single family dwelling units and executive homes. In District 2, over on the northeast side of town, sprung up two major developments, which included Brighton Landing and Roberts Ranch. In District 3, this is where all the multifamily development occurred over the last eight years. Just touching on District 3 really quick, um, these developments actually benefit from the fact that in this area is served well by the Vacaville Transportation Center. Um, and this links commuters to destinations beyond Vacaville onto the greater Bay Area region. So we're talking about connecting people to BART and the Vallejo Ferry. So these are all bus routes originating out of this hub and this all happens in District 3. In District 4, we had the least amount of housing that was produced in the city. Uh, really only one uh, unit came out of this um, district, which was a custom home built on Alonzo Road. District 5, we had one major subdivision development that's currently in the works, known as Farmstead Square. And in District 6, this is where we got the most new subdivisions that happened over the last eight years. On average, about 100, um, so 100 single-family dwelling units were produced each year for a total of just over 850 single-family units. And this area is where, um, again, most of the new subdivisions popped up, including Parkside, Vanden, and Villages at Vanden. So segueing into the actual nitty gritty part of the report. So this is where I'll talk, dive into the general plan, housing element, downtown specific plan, et cetera. So to highlight some general plan um, implementation projects that happened in 2022, um, just to note that these projects listed on the screen uh, uh, originated in 2022, but they're gonna happen in 2023 and beyond. These projects are still ongoing. So, um, some notable achievements last year include the land use and development code update, adoption of the downtown specific plan, drafting up our housing element, and also the adoption of the development impact nexus fee study. Some recommended priorities for 2023, as mentioned earlier, is going to still continue the downtown specific plan implementation. Community development will also undergo 
um, the municipal service review study and the urban reserve land use analysis. Also with completing the housing element adoption um, slated to come before the city council, hopefully in summer of this year. And also creating that Northeast growth area specific plan. And the housing element implementation portion of this progress report is the biggest chunk of the report. This is actually what we really want to be transmitted to the state every year because without transmitting it, um, deems it ineligible for grant funding provided by the state. So every year um, we produce the housing element um, annual progress report, which is here then incorporated into the general plan annual progress report, all culminated together as one big unified report for the state. So again, this is to remain in compliance to receive grant funding. And to give you some data in just 2022 alone, because we update the council every year, year by year on the residential um, permit data, this is based on the total number of building permits issued. So in 2022, 378 residential permits were issued. And most of those being above, um, for these permits that were issued, we categorize them mostly as above moderate, basically meaning that a lot of these units that were produced were for um, the market of above market range. And to give you a holistic view of the last eight years from 2015 to 2022, ABAG originally, or ABAG, I should say, Grant, um, allocated 1,084 units to the city of Vacaville. But over the last eight year cycle, the city of Vacaville actually produced over 3,338 units. So that means we actually um, surpassed our allocation by 208%. And, but with, even though that number sounds great, the city did fall short in producing below market rate housing. So as you see on the screen, we fell, um, we still have about 226 very low uh, income category units to produce within this last arena cycle. So meaning like even though we produced a lot of units in general, we still fell short of affordable income units. And I'm gonna segue into the downtown specific plan implementation, which was again adopted last year. On the screen, we have a list of completed projects to date and some upcoming projects slated for 2023, 2024. And um, one thing that we didn't note that's on the slide, but we can't take credit for 2022 was the adoption of the Joppa app. That's the Joppa parking app to help you find a parking space in downtown. Those are one of the biggest um, major achievements that occurred with uh, implementing the downtown specific plan. Also, just to note that the downtown uh, Vacaville Business Improvement District hired a new executive director. So staff plans to work really closely with that um, new hiree to implement the goals and visions of the downtown specific plan. Two more documents to talk about is the ECAS, Energy and Conservation Action Plan. And basically this is the city's long range strategy to reduce greenhouse gases. Um, in some ways it serves as the city's climate action plan. Some noteworthy achievements, again, include the adoption of the downtown specific plan, approval of the Allison Affordable Apartments and approval to purchase 10 electric buses. And then the final document I'm gonna cover is the general plan EIR mitigation and monitoring program implementation. And this is another important document because it's used to ensure the implementation of mitigation measures identified in the environmental impact report prepared for the 2000, I'm sorry, prepared for the general plan and ECAS. And in 2002, the most noteworthy achievement that fell under this document is the adoption of our building code update, which happens on a triennial buildings, triennial code cycle. Um, and this includes updating our energy code. So there's no action requested of the council this evening. This is an informational item. And next up for staff is to transmit it to the state for filing before April 1st. If you have any comments or questions, I'm happy to take those now. Yeah, thank you for the presentation. Um, 
I, at this point, don't see any questions for this, but uh, that doesn't mean there won't be some. Go ahead. I see one. Councilmember Silva. <clears throat> All right, thanks for the overview. Um, one thing that continues to come up is anytime we have the development, and I know we're going to continue to develop, is the concern of the impact on our schools. Is it appropriate to put or include in our general plan that accommodation? Um, and kind of stemming off of that, uh, uh, when I say accommodation, I mean looking at some, some type of verbiage that uh, discusses uh, some type of um, more extensive collaboration between the school districts, uh, Travis and Vacaville and the city of Vacaville. And, um, and then beyond that, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that for now. Thanks, Councilmember Silva. I can't answer to the degree of that um, that we would be able to incorporate now because the general plan um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but the general plan was adopted in 2015, the latest update. And um, if we were to go through another general plan uh, update, that would be the appropriate time to bring in that subject. Um, but it's definitely one that we could include in the next plan update if we were to go down that route. Well, real quick, Mr. City Manager, do you have a, can you shed some light on Yeah, this? so just to, to expand on that a little bit uh, for the council. So our current general plan has lots of uh, land use policies um, regarding quality of life and good neighborhood development within it. And so that's talking about providing amenities and features such as schools and parks and so forth. And so um, we're definitely covered in that regard. And it does go as far as state law really allows us to. But and, and, recognizing the, the challenge that we're having with you know funding and timing and, and so forth um, that doesn't preclude the council from continuing to reach out with the school district and, and the development community to see if going forward if there aren't you know other ways that we could um, help uh, those projects you know speed along but I think the other part of it too is is that in talking with the school districts you know they're they're working very diligently on you know um, their needs and so forth and as we hear from them you know, um, they're impacted by the, the state budget and so forth and, and what they can and cannot do as far as the school fees that are allocated. But that doesn't preclude us from going forward that, you know, if there's opportunities to pursue, we can certainly do that. I know that that's something that's, um, something that's high on my priority as well. And so I don't necessarily think that there's anything to really add to our general plan document itself. Um, but I do know as a council that this is something very important to you all and, and to the community as well as to the representatives from the school district. And so if there is an opportunity to do something uh, going forward, we'll, we'll continue to explore that. Thank you. Vice Mayor Wiley. Uh, thank you for the information. And it is a very comprehensive report, which is good. I don't really have a question, but just an observation. You know, I know there's a lot of building going on in District 6. We're number two there with 800 and 600, 866 units from 15 to, to 22. And then a lot more on the horizon with everything that's being built out there. But so that's the reason why everyone is so concerned with traffic, 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 because that's just in District 6. And then you look at District 2, which isn't very far away with all the Roberts Ranch and Brighton Landing. I mean, they had the most housing going on. So it's just it just points out to the fact that traffic is an issue that the people in Vacaville are facing. And I will say that Bandon Road and Leisure Town have really been improved a lot in that same time period from 2015 to 2022. 
but there's still work to be done and it's in the progress and you know on the book so i just wanted to mention it's a reality that people are facing. And I think because those two years with the COVID, when people were not on the road as well, as very much. So then it really seems like what's going on? Why do we have so much building? And that's what we hear, you know, why are we just approving everything? And a lot of these things were approved, you know, several years ago, not during the current term here. So that's just my concert, my comments. Councilmember Chap. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the information for the report. Question, uh, one of your slides indicated and you shared that we had exceeded our allocation by over 200%. What, what is the, um, what, what are the consequences or are there any when you exceed the, was the state allocated number? Okay. Thanks for that question, Councilmember Chapman. So there are no consequences for overproducing on housing. Actually, the state wants <laughs> cities to produce a lot more housing. Um, where we do suffer, though, is in the production of affordable housing units. So the city was allocated a set number of above moderate, below moderate, those, et cetera, of income categories in which type of housing we're supposed to produce. So a lot of the below moderate um, types of housing is all the middle missing is which we call like duplexes, triplexes, um, everything that you don't see that's in, that's actually in between single family homes up through apartments. Because when you think about housing, it's only single family homes or apartments, but there's a lot of missing middle, quote unquote, of housing that was not produced in the city of Vacaville. There's not a penalty per se, it's just the city just didn't deliver on their number of allocations. Um, but this number changes every cycle. So as I mentioned, we're closing out Arena 5 and we're entering now Arena 6. So Arena 6, we've been allocated a much higher number, which um, in Arena 5, I believe, we were just allocated about 1,087 units. In Arena 6, we're allocated an additional 800 units to produce. So 1,000, approximately 1,800 units that the city of Vacaville has to produce. So this is um, a number that's always reset every eight years by the state and then trickles down through the county so that the city can um, hopefully deliver through, um, this is why we have the housing element um, to hopefully produce enough housing for all income types. We are lacking in afford affordable housing. Uh, when we receive the next allocation, at what stage, at what point, and how do we communicate to the developers uh, it's their property, they're coming in, this is what they want. And now that we have legislation that tells them they can go ahead, we can't hold them back. Um, how can we, um, you have any ideas as to how we can address, addressing how we can address the issue of affordable housing, bring, making it uh, available? Sure, that's a great question, Councilmember Chapman. It's a very large question to answer just in the, the scope of my presentation. But just to give you ideas through numbers, um, HCD, the Housing Community Development Department, um, issues an affordability count calculator to like help you figure out like how much is actually a house that's affordable. And they deemed um, the maximum affordable house cost for a moderate income household. So that's thinking about, I think in Vacaville, a moderate income household of four is approximately $108,000. Um, the, ma the maximum affordable house to that family size is actually $403,000. So approximately $400,000 for a single family home. 
but citywide in the city of Vacaville, the median listing price is 613,000. So it's, it's, on, it's based on the market. And really when you put those numbers in perspective, there are some challenges that we have to go through in order to bring that number down. But that's what we do through the housing element is to address these through policies and actions. City manager, could you add to that? Certainly, so thank you. So specifically to the question of how do we help promote more uh, low income, very low income housing units. Um, every city is different. And here in Vacaville, we kind of have a unique methodology in doing that where uh, we try to collaborate with uh, prospective of, uh, affordable housing developers um, utilizing property that was formerly owned by the redevelopment agency for the city. Um, that has its limitations and we recognize that. And so if you recall last year, we initiated and undertook a study that the council was interested in doing the, our housing strategy. And in that particular strategy, it did identify that we need to do some creative methods um, to incentivize or further promote building affordable housing. The city's typically not in, in that you know um, line of work, although we do have properties, but it's not generally um, placed spatially within within the community. And so that has a whole nother issue to, to, dis, to explore. So we recognize that, you know, with the completion of the housing strategy, uh, we need to have more conversations with the council. And that's something that we intend to do as part of our uh, upcoming workshop with the council um, to talk about how do we help uh, bring in affordable housing developers to meet that very low income number. Because uh, generally speaking, uh, that type of product does require some kind of partnership and some kind of subsidy. Um, it also requires, you know, working with um, uh, state grants and, and other type of grant funding opportunities because there generally is a need for subsidies. And so that's why it's so important to have the housing element uh, completed and updated and submitted to uh, the State Department of Housing and Community Development because the first thing they check if you're asking for state funding is that you have a completed housing element. And so um, that's what we're working on now. And so we look forward to having a, a, a further discussion with the council about just exactly how do we do that to help incentivize and meet those needs to, to bring more of that product type into, into the community. Councilmember Stockton. Yes, thank you. And thank you for the explanation, um, uh, city manager, because I think the public, like myself, at times gets confused between affordable housing and market rate housing, which are synonymous. And I think that in our general plan, we should be careful with our words to make sure that the public is aware that when it says affordable, it means market rate. It doesn't mean that it's going to be subsidized. And in order to meet these, you know, very low um, RANA numbers, it really does require the developer to be generous or it requires us to have the ability to even negotiate with them. And as we learned recently, um, it's becoming more and more difficult to actually, you know, uh, stop some of these projects that are affordable or market rate, even when we zone them as high density. Um, they still get to build market rate or whatever they want. And so I am very interested to have that conversation and look forward to that coming back to council to find creative ways that we might be able to um, encourage the, the developers to build some of the housing that is missing while still assuring the people that are living in the different communities that they're aware of what's going to be built where and that they're included in that process. 
So the language, maybe adjusting the language so it's more understandable and then also uh, following up on your comments. All right, I'm gonna open this up to the public for comments. <laughs> um, so one question is, is there an opportunity to change what's being submitted? Um, so uh, Councilman Stockton, you just mentioned a really good thing to really clarify what is meant by affordable housing. Can that amendment be incorporated into the document prior to submitting it to HCD? So I have that question. Also, um, I fully support some kind of workshop study session to really study the growth, the way it's happening within the city. I mean, there's there you see most of the growth in District Six. I think I know why, but we have these we have developers who've entered into development agreements throughout the city. I don't know how many development agreements there are. I don't know that you know. I think it's something that's important to know. These development agreements, some of them go back 20 plus years ago. Development agreements, they get approved and almost just, they turn into these zombie kind of situation where nothing happens and then all of a sudden something happens. The whole environment, the world's changed. It's not anything we really need, but you have this development agreement and the situation with our neighborhood, as you know, we were subject to a development agreement with the, the Southtown master plan and it was supposed to get extended. You know, the whole ugly story where staff just let it die. But these development agreements, you essentially what you're doing is you're giving developers a guarantee to build. I think we need a, a study session to find out how many guarantees to build has the city given throughout the city. And then it's my understanding permits, they're allocated every year in a certain way. You're not gonna just let somebody build 3000 units in one year. That's my understanding. So, but anyway, back, back, to the, sorry, back to the development agreement. I think this is what's really important. You're giving developers a guarantee to build and in return, the city is supposed to be paid various fees like a community benefit fee, like, so for instance, Southtown master plan, the, the developer of the apartments was supposed to pay $3,000 per unit. Well, the development agreement died, so we're not getting that. So what I'm saying is the city gave those developers the guarantee to build, which increases inherently the land value. So that developer, those developers got to benefit and enjoy their increase in value by having this guarantee through a development agreement, but then by the city letting it go, the city did not get what they were supposed to get in return for that guarantee, which was the community benefit fees, the mellow ruse, development impact fees. And so we have all this development and we have these situations where we're not getting the appropriate amount to build out the infrastructure we need, the schools we need. And so I think- The time has ended, so. Okay. I think we got the point. Got it, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Anyone else? 
with that, I'm gonna close public comment and bring it back to the council. Um, I did hear a couple of things that I thought were interesting, uh, making sure that as a city, we track development agreements uh, more routinely and accurately. Uh, Mr. City Manager, can you comment on that? Certainly, and if it's okay, Mr. Merrick, can I throw in a little bit extra to address some of the other comments yes. about development agreements where I think you were going? So, um, first of all, so with regards to the first question about you know amending the general plan, we don't need to do that. And the report is really just a progress report that we submit to ACD. Um, with regards to development agreements, it's really a, a mutually beneficial tool that cities use to um, provide a guarantee, as the word was used, um, for what improvements are being required of a larger development project. You know, typically you don't see development agreements on small subdivisions. You see them on a larger scale development what we use here is uh, specific plans or master plan communities. And the reason for that is, is that this project is, a, we're dealing with large numbers of units, uh, 1,000, 2,000 units that requires all kinds of infrastructure, requires all kinds of um, critical timing, requires uh, park improvements and other kinds of improvements. There's a lot of moving pieces. The development agreement process ensures those commitments or obligations that the developer is making, as well as that the city is making. And then when you look at those obligations in full, you have a comprehensive master plan community. And so while, and the reason for the, the long date on those uh, development agreements is because building a 2000 unit master plan community can take time and market conditions change. Um, things that we don't necessarily have any impact on, um, you know, with market conditions as well as, um, Economy, et cetera. And, and so that time frame is allowed to ensure that um, those deal points are continued to benefit the, the ultimate build out of that community. Uh, with regards to uh, your question, we presently have probably less than 15 development agreements. Um, and what we are doing now is we are monitoring those more closely and we're um, actually gonna be presenting an annual development agreement report to the council um, here soon. And the value of that is essentially creating a checks and balance system. So to make sure that you know the improvements that um, the developer has agreed to, as well as uh, programs that the city has committed to, such as credits and reimbursements. I mean, just a real quick uh, explanation. If uh, a developer puts in a lot of backbone infrastructure, that other developments are benefiting from, they wanna make sure that they're getting reimbursed for those fronting of those improvements. That's something that's covered in the development agreement. The payment of fees and so forth, those are included in the development agreements. And so it's, it's a very valuable tool for large scale communities. And to your point, Vice Mayor, about more traffic coming in and you know new, new growth bringing new impacts, completely understand, but once again, you're looking at a snapshot of the development as it stands today, but ultimately there will be additional improvements in accordance with the specific plan in that development agreement that will accommodate you know, those new uh, developments. And so right now what you're seeing is you know, the, the current amount of development on our current infrastructure, but ultimately there will be uh, more improvements, more infrastructure that go along with the rest of, of the master plan community. And so meet the level of service that's defined in the city's general plan. So there's a lot of moving pieces. That's the value of those development agreements. 
and we feel very confident in those. And the key is, is making sure that we keep up on those and hold um, both ourselves and the development community uh, responsible and accountable to the obligations included in those agreements. Yeah, thank you. Just real quick before I go to Vice Mayor Wiley. <clears throat> the question really was um, looking at the amount of the arena five versus arena six. Does the does the lapse in the ability to achieve the 226 um, uh, very low uh, affordable housing units convey into the next uh, version of, of arena six? It says now it compounds or is it just reset? Unfortunately, it resets. Okay. Well, my understanding of this, if you can answer the question, is our our housing element is dives deep into what it is going to take. Uh, obviously, the city doesn't build units, but we create the atmosphere that allows the developers to provide the the housing elements. And so, I, I believe that that's what we're going to want to discuss in the future. Is, is are we are we creating the right environment to accomplish the uh, the numbers that we're we find ourselves short. So that was more of a comment than a question, but I'll, I'll turn it over to uh, Vice Mayor Wiley. I have a question and I'm not sure you'll be able to answer it, but I'm just gonna throw it out. Um, so you were talking about how many permits we issued and what the plan is and, and we're looking at that. So it troubles me a bit that a plan was approved for Montessa to have 59 units, and now suddenly there's a neighborhood meeting about having, you know, 180 units because the plan totally changed. So, do we not hold developers accountable? Like, if they turn in this plan, how come? How can it change drastically from 59 single-family homes to almost 180 rental units? I'll take an initial stab, and then maybe City Manager Bush can jump in. Um, so. Um, the RENA numbers, so when we report out to the state, the RENA numbers, um, so making sure that we're making our progress towards RENA is based on building permits issued, not necessarily planning projects that have been approved. So the way we count is based on building permits that have been issued or um, been given the certificate of occupancy. Um, you referred to Montessa, that's just still in the planning phases, so. So with regards to your specific question, so, the, the property was originally zoned for low density residential. Um, but again, as the council is learning uh, along with staff is there's been new legislation related to um, allowing uh, developers to, and homeowners for that matter, to build what we know as accessory dwelling units and junior accessory dwelling units. And in this particular case, the law allows um, to have a project have both and so what you have now is, is in this particular case, the original uh, property owner and, and home builder um, who has several other projects here in town uh, decided to sell that particular property to another developer who was looking for providing a new housing product type within our community. And to Joshua's point, they submitted an application that um, really intensified the project. But as, as their look, it's their understanding that what they submitted complies with the state law. We're currently evaluating that right now because there you know, is some opportunity for interpretation on that. And um, we'll make sure to keep the council informed as to what the outcome of that is. And that's hence the purpose of the neighborhood meetings because it definitely has changed, but it's really not because we're not holding the developers accountable because there is no development agreement that says you shall build 59 lots here. Um, it really falls to our zoning and our general plan designations. 
though, because that is what it is. And this new legislation put on top of that, that's how you got that drastic change in the project. So what the council approved um, initially, just by the wayside, because the developer has sold the property. Well, I, and then I, the new people would have to bring it to the council for approval. So I, I don't, I don't know the final details of the project per very specific, but the, the map that was submitted um, by council can be modified um, per the subdivision map act. And so uh, they, but what they have to do though, is go through the city's process um, for a discretionary review. But again, the reason that it intensified in the number of, of units per the project is because the new legislation allows, apparently allows for that, um, the uh, building of an accessory dwelling unit and a junior accessory dwelling unit on each lot. Councilmember Stockton. Um, is there currently a place on our website or online where we can see what development agreements are active, where they're located in the city, the current terms that have been agreed upon and when they expire? So staff is currently working on aggregating that. Um, it will be uploaded on the website. Uh, we've been mentioned about that in the past. Uh, city Council has made that request in the past. Um, and as City Manager Bush explained that we are um, doing an annual review of all the development agreements. So that'll be one of the implementation approaches to make sure it's transparent and online. When do we expect that that will be online or back to council? Right now, um, I don't have a timeline, um, but we're hoping to implement that soon. But soon. So there's a lot of work involved in that because as you can imagine, these documents are, are fairly lengthy and there's lots of different obligations in it. And so um, Josh and, and Director uh, Aaron Morris are, are working very diligently on that because it is something very important. Um, but they know that it's a priority of mine because I know it's a priority of yours and for the community. So we're working on it. I hope to have that um, sometime um, summer this year, um, but definitely before the end of the year because it's a valuable resource to go through there and be able to, to monitor and share that. And so right now, I believe you, you can search our website um, for the development agreement itself because it's linked to the specific plans and our website does identify all the different specific plans within the community. But in terms of the specific call out of the data that you were referring to, um, that's something that we're working to put in a much easier to follow format. So it's very clear that, you know, there's these obligations on behalf of the city as well as the obligations on behalf of the developer. Yeah, I agree. It's a real opportunity to just be transparent as a city and just learn from the processes that we've gone through to, to be able to address these development agreements and where we stand and what our obligations are moving forward. No question is if there was one item on tonight's agenda that was very lengthy in either reading, this was one of them. Um, the Appendix 8, for those who, are, who have not seen it, um, it really is a, a task-driven roadmap from all the different departments on where the city is going so that whether it was accomplished last year or moving forward or, or if it's been assigned. And so I appreciate the work that staff has done to get us to this point and just want to thank you for the presentation. And with that, uh, we'll just receive this report. So thank you. Actually, did you have more? one more comment? No. Okay. So thank you very much. Next item, Mr. City Manager. 
Thank you, Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, members of the council. This next item is the approval of the Eleanor Nelson Park Master Plan update. We have Parks and Rec Director Reggie Hubbard and his team. A update on this particular master plan. Good evening, Mayor, Vice Mayor, and City Council. Uh, this is the Nelson Park draft master plan. We have Greg Melton with us tonight from Melton Design Group, uh, who's going to be walking us through this plan. But uh, before he gets started and I hand it off to him, just a little background on where we are. Next slide, uh, Nino. A little background on this plan. We started this process in 2019 uh, with uh, the draft master plan. And as you know, we had the pandemic that slowed us down a bit. Uh, we had some elderberry uh, issues that we had to deal with as well with this plan. Um, but now we're getting back started again with it. Uh, we did a lot of public outreach, several public meetings. Uh, and the reason we're going after approving this plan is it provides us the opportunity to go after funding sources. The council made a decision a few meetings ago, a sports complex, a priority for us, but we didn't want to forget these other uh, projects as well. But this will uh, springboard us into going after other, other funding. So with that said, I will hand it over to Greg. Thank you and thanks for having us today. Um, I'll quickly go through the plan. Uh, in, to put you in context, we obviously have the Nutry Road on the left and Marshall Road to the base. We also have Arcade Creek and the Arcade Creek Trail that comes in on the east side um, and the, the middle school to the north. So the park is uh, has a lot of uh, non-residential side, except for the one east side there where uh, during the public uh, engagement, we've done talk to pretty much every one of the neighbors that butt up to the park. And um, with the elderberry, you'll see on the next slide, it'll, it'll point out how they were buffered pretty much by the elderberry and on the site. So, so this is the master plan. I'll, uh, kind of divided up into the softball area and then the natural park area. Um, some of the benefits that this plan brings is a secondary access off of the nut tree. So currently there's just the one parking lot down on uh, the bottom. So now we have a second access. We have about 28 parking spaces up there. Uh, a simple turnaround and drop off if you're just dropping off for practice. Um, and then uh, as you come in, there's an access all the way down to the maintenance yard, which is kind of in the middle of the park. So maintenance has better access. The people have better access on that side without having to come into Marshall Road, which could get pretty busy at times. Uh, additionally, we have a new uh, grass area up there that has a little mini ball field, whether it's little tykes playing or t-ball, or if it's the, uh, the girls fast pitch warming up. Uh, there's always teams playing, so you always need more space for warm up. So we looked at that. And there's also another warm-up next to the parking area that's that's fenced in for uh, during games that the teams can warm up. Um, one of the fun parts is there in the center is uh, currently there's a concession restroom there that's pretty dilapidated. So we'll be replacing all of that with a new 10 uh, unit restroom. So plenty of uh, plenty of stalls to move people through uh, during games and tournaments. Uh, additionally, we'll have a new concession and picnic shelter there. So a covered picnic area with concession, uh, along with additional picnic tables to uh, really handle the, the larger amount of teams when a team's off and waiting or a team's ready to uh, come off the field, we can handle that. Um, 
and then on the back side of it, there's no access around to the park. So now we're opening up a trail along the north side, along the school. So you'll be able to walk out of that area and get to the trail system to the rest of the park where previously it was all fenced off and blocked. At the entry, at the field entry, we have a, a new entry and a kind of a promenade leading down to the picnic shelter there in the restroom. And we see that as a real multi-use space. Uh, during tournaments, they can put up their, their tents there, they can get in the shade. If you wanna have a fair there, you can have market food elements. So it's, it's more than just for the softball, it would be able to be used for the whole community if you wanna do a, some type of crafts fair or a food fair or something. Um, that works out really good. And then we uh, created some identity at the entry. You wanna... Our goal is, is, like I said, identity. So we wanted to theme the park uh, uh, the way it is. And, and we do really have two parks here. We kind of have the ball fields and then the nature area. So they'll be kind of dealt with separately. But when you drive up now, and if you're coming to go play, it's gonna be exciting. There's some big four foot softballs there. Uh, get some photos in front of. Um, the big, large bats, mitts, things like that, that are really themed for the uh, the Vacaville girls fast pitch. So they're very excited about that. And to have a, a field that really, uh, someone comes to play, they're gonna have an identity there, right? Um, like I said, we can have different fairs there. We can light up that promenade. There's plenty of seating, uh, benches and room. Uh, we already have a great row of trees there. So there's a lot of shade. So we're gonna keep those. Um, and then put a, put more of a multi-use uh, granite down so we're not having to worry about mowing as much, irrigating control. So we're really trying to reduce the maintenance and the water use also for the ball diamonds. Um, so you can see it could be pretty fun and some great uh, social media opportunities. So I'll dive into the other side now, which talks about the, uh, the more nature area and the park. Um, I think when we got onto the site, it was pretty clear that there were some very large oak trees, a lot of native vegetation in the elderberry along Ar Arcade Creek and, and the rest of the site. And um, I think what hit it was we found a, a red fox on the site one day, it was just sitting there. And so this red fox and the rabbit just kind of said, you know, we probably shouldn't develop this whole, this whole thing with the Arcade Creek. It's kind of a, a wildlife corridor. And um, so we're about, uh, we're developing about a third of that six acres that's undeveloped now, uh, but still providing a lot of recreation. Uh, you want to zoom in on that? Um, so some of the key elements we have is uh, playgrounds that are more uh, uh, free play. So not just decks and slides, but climbers, swings, uh, spinners, things you can really get engaged with. And then we have a spray ground that's kind of nature themed with leaves, kind of a uh, mountain water theme where you'd be able to be in it and splashing down a little creek. Uh, these spray grounds are super popular. You already have one that operates really well in town. So this one will provide uh, a little bit more space as that one gets full. Um, but a really exciting theme park where you can sit right there next to your kid and whether you wanna get wet or not, that's probably out of your control but uh, a nice spot and focused. And then the red buildings you see around that are all the picnic shelters. So as it fills up with 10, 20, 30 kids, moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas can all have a shaded place to sit. And if you wanna reserve it for a birthday party, that's also uh, capable. Um, the pickleball court you see in blue, uh, probably the fastest growing sport <laughs> in our nation at this time. 
Uh, every public meeting I go to, um, is there any pickleballers in the office? Oh God, we're lucky today. But uh, really, really popular. Um, so we're fitting three into this site. What they really need is a big space and I'm sure they've told you that. Um, and then we have adventure play to the right with everything from zip lines, climbers, uh, climbing boulders. Again, like I said, more free play to where you have to be creative with your play and not just climb and, and slide. So um, the elements you see around the perimeter, the numbers, one, 12, 13, those are the elderberry. So you can see they've encroached right up to the edge and we uh, followed all the rules from the uh, habitat conservation plan as far as setbacks and and uh, providing different uh, habitat support plants for the elderberry. Um, so uh, it's still very much natural and um, go back one slide. We, uh, you can see the dashed line running through the elderberry and a little bridge to cross uh, one of the remnants of the creek, uh, but still a nice way to go walk into the depths of it. We'll be revegging it with, like I said, host plants that the elderberry really have uh, really like to have with them. Um, so if you do want to get back into the nature, that works great. And uh, um, you can see the added parking lot. Uh, we had there. This was uh, something similar to this was part of the original master plan to add parking on this side. So um, we made it a little bigger and doubled up the rows. So we doubled the amount of parking that's available there. So when there is a tournament, uh, currently it's a lot of the parking fills up and we kind of go down Marshall Road on some of it. This will really help support that uh, while supporting the amount of kids that will be there playing. So Great. So these show the two phases and the phasing plans that we have uh, with um, the existing budgets that have been identified uh, for the project. These budgets are up to date to today's date. So from three years ago to today, obviously the numbers have changed considerably with the cost of uh, materials, labor, everything else. Um, this does not include the public works administrative cost at this time. So there's still some numbers that would be a part of that, but I think we're um, we, we're set up good for going after grants. And if we're looking at you know two five year plan or whatever it is, we'd have to put a little multiplier on that also. So I'm sorry. Before we get to the recommendations, uh, Hugh, Nemo, can you go back to the slide two? I think it is. disappoint from the original master plan. I think you have it in your staff in your reports up top where the school district is. The original master plan had a third uh, full field up top. Uh, and we were back in the early 90s, they were negotiating to put a full diamond up there. That one would not have been lit. But in negotiating with the school district, they weren't, um, they didn't want that third field in there. That's why this plan has changed to the mini. As you can see where the purple dotted line is, that is now fenced off. And as we know, now fencing off their, their areas just for security. That's one of the reasons that third main field went, went away. I just wanted to point that out. We'll answer any questions and we are recommending that uh, the council approve the Nelson Park Master Plan update. Um, this has gone through the commission, Park and Rec Commission, uh, various community uh, a meeting, so um. thank you. Appreciate the presentation, uh, Councilmember Stockton. 
for the presentation. Beautiful community park plan. Um, I really like the water feature. I think that that seems to be a growing um, request from the community members as it gets so hot here, especially when there's littles that are watching their kids, their, their older uh, parents or siblings play on the fields and stuff. It's cool that they have something to do. Um, I had a couple questions. Uh, one, is there any Frisbee golf um, like um, holes or the chains, you know, that hang down along that nature trail? Cause it seems like it could accommodate some of that. There's no disc golf um, plan for this particular park. We do have disc golf planned for Centennial. Is that something that could be added at a later date in that location? I'm I, not sure it can be added here with the restrictions that we have with the elderberry bushes that we, we would okay. have to mitigate. I wasn't sure when you brought that up either. And then the other thing is, and this is at every single park, you brought up um, picnic shelters and picnic areas. Uh, I'm curious, what, what are the costs of the picnic sh uh, shelters and the um, picnic areas? Uh, and how many are under each... How many are covered? How many tables are covered under each one on the on this park? Yeah, I mean, I could get pretty close, I think. Um, so you see the big red picnic shelter uh, there. That one, that one is built to take a large family event or multiple small events. So it has two barbecues there. Additionally, it probably has six tables on each side plus about five in the middle. So if you times that by eight on a full table. 12, 17, 100, 100 people, roughly. Um, and then a lot of times people bring their own chairs and they'll spread out into the parking lots if you have a family reunion or such. So that's the big, large picnic area. And then uh, to the right, uh, shade structure number two, um, it looks like it's about 24 by 40 or something like that. So I think I can get seven, seven tables comfortably in there with good ADA access around that. And then um, probably half that on the small one uh, to the left there, number three. So um, shade is important. You know, we'll be planting yeah, I want, I want trees, some at Centennial. Yeah. So <laughs> I want to know how much they cost so I can ask the council to put some okay. Centennial for well, all the folks there. Uh, the small one on the left, if we started there, you know, you're probably looking at about thirty to forty thousand forty thousand dollars with install there. Okay. And then you can imagine as you go up from there, probably sixty-five, seventy on shade two and probably 120, 140 on the big one. Is there any ongoing maintenance for these? Well, ongoing maintenance is very important. If we got steel structure, steel roof, you know, your maintenance is a lot less, right? Just whether or not this would fall under district dollars, just throwing that out there for Centennial. I think I was baited into something. Yes, you <laughs> definitely were set up. Uh, no, but overall, beautiful project. I, I, I really like it. I can't wait to hear what the community thinks as well. I know we see, I see some people in the stands who look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Silva. Thank you. And um, so first, uh, I love the theme identity. So Reggie, Nemo, appreciate that. And whoever sketched it or, or paid for it, uh, it was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> so I, I appreciate that. Uh, in my words, it looks dope. <laughs> um, that's a compliment. Uh, gotcha. Is it Melton? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a compliment, Melton. Um, I got a 13 year old, so I guess. <laughs> I'm close to that. <laughs> uh, what, uh, what data was used to determine the increased parking stalls? How do we know that's sufficient? Um, I have two more questions. You want me to ask them or just one by one? Yeah, um, that's a great one. So uh, what determined the quantity of parking stalls here was space. 
we didn't want to, uh, we wanted to add as many as we can without encroaching on the neighbors and without really hindering the size of the park uh, to where there'd be too much parking. Um, so when I look at the quantity of parking, I can count the, you know, for the, for the ball diamonds, I can count, I got, you know, nine people on the field. I got about four in dugouts. You do the math and you start calculating, I'm going to need a hundred cars for four teams and things like that. So we do calculate that. And so as we start looking at, you know, when you have tournaments and stuff like that, well, we can't park for Christmas day here because we would be compromising a lot of the natural environment. So we, we really provided as much as we possibly could without compromising the site. If, if I had more site, you know, I would probably provide more parking um, just to handle those bigger days. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we maximized quite a bit to meet the program that the neighbors and, and the stakeholders had. And um, uh, two more questions. Uh, so I've heard uh, different feedback regarding pickleball. Um, uh, Rachel and I had a, a really good conversation. Um, is three courts here appropriate? Is no courts here appropriate? Is uh, Should we have add more to accommodate the demand? So maybe that's more a yeah. question for Reggie. And, and, and I think, it, again, it's uh, similar to the parking um, situation. It's, it's space. Um, we've been hearing that individuals want pickleball courts. I know uh, if you ask the pickleball community, they, they want their own complex. And we, of course, we couldn't provide that here. But we thought, you know, if this is an opportunity to provide some courts for those in the surrounding community, we'd do that. Uh, initially, it was pickleball, and it was, it was, there was no pickleball. There was bocce. And, but we're hearing more and more that we need pickleball. So we swapped it out for, with the bocce courts for the pickleball. Um, I don't think we can get more in there without in, uh, taking away some other amenities in the park. Uh, are infringing on, you know, like you said, the the uh, elderberry bushes are are parking things like that. So let's say these pickleball courts don't get used, um, so they're not in demand. Uh, is there and maybe this is for design purposes? Is there, is is there a certain design that allows it to be uh, adaptable to other interests or? Absolutely. I mean, multi-use courts are are very very popular now. So. Uh, these nets can be made to where they're either portable or removable. So a court, you know, futsal is a popular court we put on to either tennis, basketball, and things like that. So if pickleball happens to take a dive in the next decade and, uh, you know, then it's very simple to just ad adapt the, the court to what is the next sport. Um, and I, I, if I read it correctly, um, all of these three fields um, in the master plan uh, designate it to be lighted. Same thing with Alpatch. Is that correct? No, the two um, current fields are lit. The mini field would not be. Okay. Um, so that would be one feedback. I'd like to get that verbiage added if council willing. Uh, Sorry, which verbiage is that? Lighted. To light the mini field? I, I don't think, I'm not sure if that's a necessity. And I, I say that because, well, there were maybe some issues around the lighting that field. But the little, that's for the minis. And usually the minis don't play. Um, one that late, I believe, it doesn't like them to. But I don't know if there's an opportunity to light that mini field. Uh, but we can take a look at it. I mean, that's that. You know, if you look at the height of the lights and the size of that of the mini field, that probably caused some issues with this park. Oh, um, and then the same thing would go for that that futsal court um, or possible uh, multi-use court uh, lighting there as well. Uh, that's been a big issue throughout this winter and. Uh, folks trying to find somewhere for kids to go when it gets dark at five. Um, so, oh, sorry. And third question. Um, uh, funding to 
so actually you already answered answered it about funding. So I'm good. Thank you. Councilmember Ritchie. Okay, I'll try to get my comments short. Um, thanks. This this is a great park. Um, I was really excited when I saw it. I, I used this park for a few years. My own kids coming down the trail. Uh, we live pretty close to here. Um, and syllabus answered the question of futsal. Uh, we actually did a futsal tournament a few weeks ago, and they actually utilized the same thing. They were able to pull the pylons and turned the courts into futsal. And futsal is like it's soccer on cement. That's just full transparency, and that would work well. But also, you have kids that want to play futsal at evening time. Um, if those courts are not being used, if you can't pull the pylons out, you know, pull the nets out, in other words, it needs to be lit to stay safe. And I like the locations to the front of the street. They're not playing in the back. They're not playing in the back, so it's easy to kind of see from the street kids playing um, or Corona was playing, uh, you know, a game. But I think it's great. My question I answered about lighting to make sure. The one thing is, like, this is going to be a great-looking park. Like, it's just kind of like, I don't want the eyesore on the park to be, everything's going to be fantastic and beautiful. My question that myself and Aaron talking earlier is, the size of the trees, they're amazing, they're old, and it's to make sure that they didn't block out and encroach over the um, the water feature because these red wonderful water feature and stuff's falling all the time or it's cold because it's fully shaded. So have you guys accounted for that? Because this was a massive trees. And that was my only question is kind of like just literally on the details. Um, another issue is to be a beautiful park. What was the cost just to finish it, prove this over the end zone with just like there's anything that's old like the back backstops um, scoreboards, any of the old things, we just get a cost, what would it cost to add those? Like, it'd be a shame to do everything else beautiful that we have these 35-year-old backstops or the scoreboards look like, like hoopties. I mean, what does it cost to get it all done? So they walk out, we get that, you know, ah, it's a beautiful park, kind of front to back. And, and we are working on those small projects with, with our maintenance, with Thank public you. works maintenance too. Actually, we have um, funds to add scoreboards to this park and we're working with um we'll be working with Vagabos girls fast fish to do that um the other question trees. Um, about the trees yeah. I, yeah we'll take an account of the trees shading the the place i'm sorry this water play feature but if you've been in Vagaville on a hot day even in the shade it's hot oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. this is my, my kids were super excited about me they this you got the kids stamp it, I, I told them about what can be down the road and they, that was awesome so you guys really did a great job. And most of those trees are in that front green area. Yeah, front. So there's, there's like a pocket behind, behind the trees that. by the creek. Right. But I just know how far back the offset of that um, water feature is going to be. Where is it? It's it's back. Okay. It's in good shape. Though. Yeah. Thank you. Vice Mayor Wiley. Thanks for the information. Looks great. The current park has a lot of antenna things and little structures. Are those all gone in this so that they're not like... And you see that great big old pole, those ugly buildings? They are not all gone. One just got removed um, this past year in 2022. So there are several that are coming up on their shelf life for renew. And we'll have to make that decision whether to allow them to renew their, their lease on the property or have them remove them. Actually, I'm sorry, there's two that have been removed so far. But So if they do remain, that they're going to be incorporated into it so it doesn't look like, or can we, at their building or... They will be incorporated into the park. We thought about moving, uh, negotiating with them to move some of those uh -huh. um, antenna buildings, whereas just in one area versus all spread out through the park where it takes away some of the area where you're watching the game or where the, some of the spectators are. 
And so we'll, we'll work through that as well. But our ultimate goal is to have as many removed as possible. Right. And then it's been brought up, but I'm just really in favor of having as much lighting as possible. I would also just uh, add my comments on that. I, I do believe those multi-use courts to be lit. I mean, th those are adult sports and it, it would make sense. And I don't think by this design that it, it would interfere with the ball fields, the way the directional lightings are for the, the softball. Very familiar with the field as well. Uh, my daughter played here for many years. The parking was the problem. So that's a good fix to the parking in the dirt. Really appreciate the way this has been activated and adding that additional parking. Um, Without any assumptions, the, the ingress, egress on Nut Tree Road, has that been assessed for safety? I have talked to the traffic department about that, about the corner on Nut Tree Marshall. You have to be so far away to enter that, and yeah, we're good on that. Okay. All right, with that, I'm going to open up to the public for comment. Come on up. Hi, council members, mayor. My name is Courtney Whitaker. I'm the president of Beckerville Girls Fast Pitch. Uh, really appreciate all the work that's being put into this. We're excited about the changes that are gonna come. We do have some comments though. Uh, with the mini field, we do really feel that it needs to be lit. Uh, our numbers have surged this year. We're at 368 players, which is wonderful. Uh, we just are short with two fields right now, trying to get all these teams to be able to play games. We've worked hard with Reggie to uh, also make Larson compatible for us to be able to have games. It's just a matter of being able to get the funding to get a second set of equipment for everything to be able to do fields and everything over there. So with the mini field, it would be great to be able to have it lit because we could, we only do our games. So we could have two games at that field in the evenings with our six shoes. Um, another concern that we have is I see that the warm-up area, it looks to be cut in half. So you typically the warm-up area goes from the edge of the dirt all the way to the fencing. And it looks like there's going to be trees and picnic tables put in there. We have four teams that warm up currently uh, getting ready for the two fields to be played on each night. And it doesn't even accommodate those two. Uh, we have another area that's really small up to the top corner that one team will go to. And then they line up along the fields where we also have people sitting. And so it's a safety concern of them warming up in that area. So my concern of them cutting the warm-up area is a, it's a safety issue. We need to make sure that we have enough areas in the park for our kids to be able to warm up safely. Uh, and then the open, the open, we've had break-ins. And even with gates, we've had break-ins there into our connects and things taken from us. And so we are concerned with having an open area to the park and being able to come into these fields at any time that it could be another safety issue and we lose more. Um, parking, parking is always an issue when we have these big days. Saturdays, you figure you only have two teams right now, but really you have another two coming in to warm up an hour before those games are over. And the parking extends down Marshall to the churches, to Vacapina. So I'm not sure with adding another field if the parking that exists that's, that's showing on the, the diaphragms are gonna be sufficient for what we have there. That's it. Thank you. Thank you. Would you care to make any comments on on any of those questions. Parking is always going to be a problem here. 
especially when you add the additional amenities or another field. I understand that. And, and we've had tournaments um, at this field before, and you know the, the parking is going to be an issue. I mean, they were able to accommodate you know several tournaments, but adding this parking, I think, will be helpful. I don't think it'll eliminate the problem. With regard to the storage and the break-ins, yes, we've experienced that even with the gates locked, right? And so where the storage is, I, we think if activating that area will hopefully reduce some of that and then re, um, adding security lighting. We've worked with Vacaville um, Girls Pass Pitch to add some security lighting to their existing uh, storage area, but we're, we're thinking that we're activating this area and adding some, some security lighting that that would help in that area. Uh, Warm-up area that was, that uh, Courtney said was cut in half. Yeah, we activated that area for more of a open space for kids to, to play um, because you're, you're bringing more families in to sit on that other side of the park. You have a lot on this side of the park, but not much on that side for the warm-up area, but that warm-up area could be extended. There's flexibility in this as far as where the picnic tables are. I mean, I'm familiar with that and trying to activate one part of the, of the field at the same time. It's a great location. This is good for for this part of, of the city in this neighborhood. So pretty excited about this, except for the price tag. But <laughs> right. I think we're all looking for those money trees in the back of the, right. of the complex. So um, with that, um, I'll bring it back to the council if there's any further discussion. Councilmember Silva. Just a clarification on warm-up areas. So the, I know this is getting into details, but warm-up like so that facing the main road there'd be netting or something to block oh, yes. wide pitches okay. and then uh looking at the other green space in the uh, bottom right outfield and then the outside left outside the left outfield fitness station area um is that i know it's designated that says fitness station but is that something that we can be flexible once it comes to fruition i do like a warm-up area yeah yes, sorry. That area. yeah it could be it could be, it could be double as a fitness, as a warm-up area as well. Okay. Because the fitness equipment, it doesn't take that much room, right? That grass area could be used. And I also realized that even though like these <clears throat> things are listed here, it's depicted still dependent on funding and still has to go, you know, maybe through addition, maybe some things don't get put into place. Um, is that an accurate statement? Well, and that's why we tried to phase it um, in two different right. phases because, you know, of course, you know, it'll depend on funding and, and, uh, so yeah, some things could go in at, at a certain point, and then other things would be left out depending on what phase we're in with this. Um, so I guess my my point to that, I I understand and I absolutely respect your your input and opinion and expertise. Um, I think it would just probably be in our best interest to at least add in the verbiage for lighting for the mini field and the uh, ball court slash multi-use court. Um, if that makes sense. No, and the council has, you have the authority to do that, to amend that amendment with. With this, yeah. yeah. And I would support that as well. Council member Stockton. I just want to point a clarification for the lighting on this mini field. Are we talking about the same super tall lights that you're, or are we talking about post lighting, like ambient lighting that's like, you know, shorter, like a street light or something, like something that size? Not, we're not talking like, yeah. okay. I just, we, yeah, we, we, uh, once we go out um, and analyze what kind of lighting would be needed for that size field, it wouldn't be like equivalent to what the large field is. Wanted to make sure. And then um, when do you think that you will break ground on the first base? <laughs> <laughs> 
you got to ask. We're, we're <laughs> Great question. There's no timeline on phase one or two for this project. Okay. I mean, to, to be honest, you know, it's one of those things where just like the next project that's coming before you, the, the Alpatch Park master plan, we want to start activating these master plans and get them in front of the council and get them approved so we can start uh, going after funding and looking right. at funding, whether it be uh, measure M, matching funds, grants, things like that, um, sponsorships to start getting some of these phases done. Councilmember Ritchie. So one more, one more question. I'm not even water, sorry, but um, you know, time time horizon. Let's say it's not magic. We're gonna snap our fingers. It's gonna be done tomorrow. But we got to plan for the future. By the time this park's done, on the backside of Marshall and Leisure Town, it's always but a conversation. There's gonna be a lot more houses, a lot more people, and people will keep on using Marshall as a cut through street to get to Vacaville. Um, in light of what happened in Fairfield next door, with the kid got this kid got ran over and killed. Um, it's right on the backside on that tree. The whole purpose of having that crosswalk right there between the park and the schools because it could get ran over and we, we installed that. As we increase the, this park, kids are gonna flock here on the weekends, weekdays at higher numbers and the traffic's gonna get even more aggressive on that tree. And people, more people are gonna come through Marshall. Like I just wanna plan ahead and be proactive as we entice kids like candy to this park, we're going to create a higher probability of kids getting hurt and killed, ran over as they're running across to go to the zip line, running across. So I just want to make sure as Marshall become a, another unofficial drag strip to get through town, we got to make sure that after you cross, there's no stop signs for at least 800 yards and they fly. So that they make that kind of bend to the right and you're right on the parking lot. I mean, I've, it's one of the gift and curses living in the city for so long. You, you know, someone can get hurt. So like we got to figure out as leading that residential neighborhood, right where this bottom part is, we got to have some, some notification of warnings. Hey guys, slow down, rumble strips, because that's a blind corner that some kids going to get popped. And also the parking lot here, and there's always opportunity for kids just, just to not pay attention on a tree. It's like, can we incorporate just safety, just traffic and safety and like, like more flashing lights or just letting you know, hey, you're coming to a high high kid zone. For the junior high, there's kids on the weekend, there's tournaments. It's gonna be bound to happen where it's gonna get, for more kids in the neighborhood, something's gonna happen. So we just add that into the element. Obviously we have time, I wish we was around the corner, but hope he has the time to communicate with the traffic studies. Yeah, and, and once we start to activate the phases of this park, we'll work with traffic to make sure that we have adequate things to address those things that you're bringing up. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I know that uh, we've heard some comments that would likely be an amendment to this. And Councilmember Silva, I don't know if you would like to make a motion. Sure. Uh, make a motion to approve <coughs> 9A, the Eleanor Nelson Park Master Plan, uh, with the amendment that we include lighting for a verbiage for lighting for the mini field, as well as the pickleball multi-use uh, court. That's a motion. Backstop. I think that'll be part of it. He's gonna second. He's gonna uh, second and then add your thing. I second, and possibly with adding them with verbiage to look for traffic safety and oh. the possibility for the backstops back and the scoreboards to be updated. 
that's going to be done. In yeah, that would be done anyway. Project. Okay. Yes. But just, just please put the traffic studies into it then. Well, that's one of the reasons why I had that question when we had the comments. Is the safety issue? Yeah. 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 Very familiar with that yeah. that incident. Yeah. That's, that's, so we have we we're good with the original motion yes. with the lighting of all the court the courts second the small field and uh, I think that was the addition right yep. we have a motion and a second all in favor aye. aye aye any opposed well thank you so let's let's get to work and finding funding for it it's not it's expensive <laughs> but uh, I think this community wants to be able to engage in activities after dark and so lighting I think is something that I've heard from a lot of people as well so. Give our kids something to do with adults. So with that, thank you very much. You. Uh, you're probably not leaving because no. we have our next item, Mr. City Manager. Thank you, Mr. Thank Mayor you. and Vice Mayor, members of the council. Your last item before you tonight is the approval of the Al Patch Park Master Plan update. Once again, Reggie and his team are here to make a presentation for you. Uh, just like the last uh, project, uh, this the Al Patch Park Master Plan, Draft Master Plan. And we have our consultant here, Nemo Gonzalez, our park planner, is going to work present this item. Thanks, Director Hubbard. I'm actually just going to introduce our, our presenter, which is our consultant. Uh, 2019 was a busy year for the Park and Rec Department. We also uh, commissioned uh, uh, some assistance from a consultant for the El Patch Park Master Plan update. Um, and here to present on that effort is uh, Brianna Morrison from Carlisle Macy. Thank you, Nemo. Hello, Council. It's nice to present to you. Um, if you go to the next slide, please. So this project timeline you see here starts in February, but I want to go back just a little bit further from when we got engaged um, by the city. So we were initially approached in 2017, and then we got under contract in, in uh, late 2018 to help the Parks Department with um, revising the Alpatch Park Master Plan. Um, the Parks Department wanted to do this based on the needs assessment that had been completed in 2013. And uh, as you'll see only, uh, as you'll see in a few slides, only uh, the first phase of the master plan had actually been implemented. So this was an opportunity to see how can we update the master plan, the remaining space to respond to this new needs assessment and what we're seeing as current trends in um, parks and recreation. So we worked with a subcommittee of parks and rec that included um, commissioners and parks and rec and uh, traffic staff to come up with a bunch of different concepts. And then we met with that, that subcommittee multiple times until we had one concept that we felt like uh, we could present to the community. And so that's where this uh, timeline begins in February 26, 2020. We had a community meeting and we received um, feedback from the residents. There was nothing really from that meeting that impacted the master plan graphic as presented. So we came back a week later and presented it to the Parks Commission on March 4th. You'll recall that's roughly when the pandemic was really ramping up. Um, so there's a really big break between March and August. And we used that time to uh, modify the master plan just a little bit uh, based on the commissioner's uh, comments and uh, feedback from the park subcommittee. And we presented it to uh, the commission on August 5th and received approval. So now we're here today to get you to approve the master plan graphic. Next slide, please. 
So this is the original master plan that was approved in 2004. Um, I just wanna point out a couple things here um, that there are five lighted softball fields. Um, there's one restroom building, two large covered picnic areas and um, a field event area. And then also um, an original playground, which um, is kind of in the top middle where there's a roundabout. Uh, between that and what is the Brown Square, which is the restroom building. Um, that's where the playground and one of the large picnic areas was. Uh, next slide, please. So this is phase one that was constructed in 2006. So you can see that three of the five lighted uh, softball fields were put in, the a natural turf football field with all weather track and bleachers, a, a combination restroom concession building was put in. Um, and then uh, some paving and parking for about 165 vehicles. Next slide, please. So this is a combination of uh, what has been constructed and what we, what, what our master plan update would like to do with that remaining space. So you'll you'll note that we've reduced the number of softball fields to three, but we've added um, a lighted artificial multi-use field. So it will include a softball field in addition to having space for um, soccer, lacrosse, uh, spillover football, that kind of thing. Uh, we've also added a standalone restroom building in the bottom, sort of the bottom left corner of that multi-use field. And we've relocated the playground from where it was um, up by that, that roundabout. Uh, there was some concerns that that was too close to cars. Um, the, I think the original reason it was located there was so that it was close, closer to the neighborhood, but the neighborhood had concerns about it being so close to vehicles. So now we've just sort of tucked it a little further into the park. Um, we've also created um, multiple picnic areas rather than just the two. Um, there now are multiple covered picnic areas throughout the park, and there's also dispersed um, single picnic tables both by the, between the softball fields and also next to the playground. Um, and let's see, I think I can go through the rest of these as we look at some blow ups of areas. So this is just zooming in on that artificial turf field. Uh, you can see the play area that I discussed earlier, the additional restroom building and the picnic tables. And then um, we've also added covered basketball, so covered and lighted basketball courts. Um, Next slide, please. So this is, you can see that those are, the majority of those are the currently built softball fields, but you can see where we've added some of these large covered picnic tables and also uncovered picnic tables. Really that's for when you've got these big events going here, you've got lots of spaces for all the teams to hang out. Um, and then we've added a skate park. This is something that uh, I think came out of feedback um, and the Parks Commission really liked that. And of course we have a picnic area next to that as well. Next slide, please. This is in the top corner where Peabody and California intersect. Um, so this is really just the additional parking and then creating some lawn areas that have the potential to become dog parks if they were uh, decided, the Parks Department decided they wanted to program that way with fencing. Um, but otherwise they can just be lawns and what's not really shown uh, in the master plan, but something that has to be done with development is stormwater treatment areas. So these are also spaces where some of that stormwater treatment could occur. Next slide, please. 
Uh, we also um, wanted to make sure that we provided pathways that connected so that you could have a walk, a measured loop. So it's a little over three quarters of a mile if you were to fo follow that uh, dotted yellow path. We also have added um, a turn lane from Peabody Road um, that would be required um, once we build that parking and we want to build that driveway access, we would have to do some improvements to Peabody Road. Uh, that was um, in um, coordination with the traffic department. And of course, all the additional parking spaces that would be required to support these amenities. Next slide, please. Um, this is our first stab at the phasing. Uh, we're still working with uh, NEMO and the Parks Department on this, but the idea would be that we try to break up all of these amenities into a reasonable phasing and um, provide the appropriate parking as the um, amenities are added. And so these costs that are shown on here are just really ballpark at the moment, and they are construction only. They don't include all the associated soft costs like design fees, uh, environmental impact reports, um, any of the city staff review and inspection time. And next slide, please. Actually, I'm gonna quickly go back to the phasing plan and uh, add a little bit more context uh, on this particular project. So my predecessor uh, uh, was working on this project with Brianna and her team um, before I started with the city. And he had a tandem effort where he was pursuing a grant for this project at the time. And so that's obviously why he was trying to wrap up the master plan. Um, Oftentimes when we are pursuing grants, they are very specific for particular amenities, whether it's uh, you know uh, increasing the amount of open space or certain uh, active or passive recreation elements. And so the benefit of having the approved master plan is that it's stream, streamlines the process and it allows us to hone in on the grants that we potentially could be eligible for but ultimately what is driving the amenities is the community and the input that we get as part of the Park and Rec Commission meetings and the outreach that we do uh, leading up to that effort. So I just wanted to provide that bit of context. And with that, uh, I wanted to add that we are asking for your approval of this uh, uh, LPATS master plan update. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, we've got questions up here. Councilmember Chapman. Oh, first, thank you. Thank you for the information, for your presentation. Um, the area of Peabody and California Drive, the corner there, um, did I understand nothing is really going to go there other than turf? Would you go uh, address that again for me? Uh, yes, so currently that area is, uh, there's the parking lot, right? So that's uh, the parking required for the uh, multi-use field and some of the other amenities. And then there is sort of a planting and lawn space, um, trying to dress up that corner where the crosswalk is. And there's a there's a pathway basically, it's like a grand walking entrance into the park. Uh, that leads you to the spaces between all of the fields. Uh, but the the development, the programming for it really at the moment is planting and lawn with the potential that it could be used as a dog park. A dog park. 
that's a large area that's very bare right now. And it, I mean, it does, it does nothing for that area coming into Vacaville. And it's been that way for some time. All you see is the L patch sign sitting there. Um, was there, has there been any thought of what else could, um, could be done there? Could we put um, another activity field of some sort? Um, yeah. So we're, we're fairly limited on the amount of space that we've got there. And I believe that this portion of the, the so I should back up and provide a little bit more context. Brianna did a pretty good job of touching on some of the requirements that we have when we're building things like this. Uh, one of the things that we're required to provide that isn't necessarily accounted for uh, in this particular master plan, but we have to plan for is uh, stormwater treatment. Whenever you're introducing uh, impervious surface, uh, uh, percentage of that needs to be treated so that you're not increasing your infrastructure like your storm drain lines. That needs to be oftentimes for parks, uh, that's uh, planted area, right? And so oftentimes you'll see um, funny looking planting in park in newer parking areas or any type of development really where you uh, it's intended to treat a part of that water uh, or uh, allow for it to sit and then infiltrate into the ground, recharge the groundwater uh, instead of again, building more and larger infrastructure elements. Um, so we need to allow for some of the green areas to uh, provide that so that we can build the rest of the things that we are proposing. Um, having said that, typically like large entryways are not ideal to provide these types of measures. Um, and uh, so there's a good chance that we could still accommodate most of those elements not in that area. But um, looking at this particular plan, I mean, the in order to keep the, the driveway and the parking seamless um, and in order to group the necessary parking with the, the fact that we're introducing a whole new other uh, multi-use field, um, that those two things are in tandem. We can't build the field and not build the parking at the same time. And so those sort of two things adjacent to each other is what makes the most amount of sense. Um, so the best that we could do is provide some sort of formal ornamental entry uh, that allows for the neighbors to the plan uh, 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 on the right hand side to cross the street and then access the park to the newer improvement elements that we're proposing for phase one. And so in terms of, uh, you know, putting any sort of active uh, elements in that corner, I wouldn't recommend it. We don't want, those are high traffic areas. We don't want to have kids or, uh, you know, other folks there, but we do want to provide access to the improvements that we're recommending. So just provided sort of a laundry list, but lots of different points that we're thinking about when we're designing these things. Yeah. Sorry, things are coming back to me as I sit here. Uh, it's been a few years, but I do believe that there was also, in addition to, to what Nemo has described here, there was discussion when we were working on the concepts with the subcommittee that having um, some open unprogrammed space, especially during tournaments, when you've got um, teams that are arriving and getting ready to play, and then you've got teams that have just played, having some, some open unprogrammed space where they can all hang out or have a picnic or meet up. Um, was, I, think, I think that was part of the discussion for why we have just lawn versus 
you know, trying to pack in other amenities or what was in the original master plan was just, that was all parking. Okay. Yeah, and remember we said in the previous plan, we just, I'm sorry, we just talked about the warm up areas too. So this could substitute for that as well. Councilmember Silva. Thank you. Uh, thank you. So um, quick question, uh, have we looked into like any type of that theme identity, some type of like centralized unique structure or a public art as part of, as part of this? And then a uh, second question was, uh, what was the um, uh, impetus for the skate park? The, the skate park is actually, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that and the needs assessment and you can chime in too, but if you, um, when we were doing our needs assessment and we did a facility assessment as well, uh, we were thinking about moving the skate park from Three Oaks if we were gonna make improvements there. But I don't think we're moving forward with, of course, with making improvements at Three Oaks, but we still wanted to keep this skate park element at Alpatch Park. And then you had a second question too. Oh, about the theme. I'll give that to Nemo. Always Councilmember Silva. Uh, so one of the, the opportunities that we have is when we go into construction documents, there's a phase that precedes it called design development where we sort of get to hone in on the specific elements um, and sort of how we want to theme that, whether it's uh, sports or active recreation in this particular case or color or materials or whatever to sort of make it a cohesive site that's always at the top of mind. Um, sometimes when you have an existing park, it's difficult to sort of retroactively make it all cohesive, but there, there's opportunities once we go into those phases of the project to make that a, a part of the project. Uh, that, uh, so that uh, artificial turf field would, would be lighted or possibly be lighted, uh, but I just wanna uh, extend out. I've heard a lot of feedback from the community about uh, having artificial turf. I know it's more in demand right now because of our extremely wet season, but uh, I do appreciate that being incorporated to this. Um, thank you. I, I wanted to just contribute to his comment about the skate park. Um, as he said, it was it was put in there originally because if development at the other park didn't happen, this was an opportunity for that. But then the Parks Commission um, at, at our meeting with them said, I really, really like the skate park and I would like to see it stay. So that, that was also part of the reason it stayed in the master plan. Like some of the innovation here, um, I know how big the demand is for linear fields as well. And the fact that um, the community here initially thought that they were gonna have at least one more softball field here as well. I guess my question is, you know, I see that you put the skate park here. I'm glad that you went into the um, water basin, you know, going because my initial thought was if you need a water overflow, why can't we just put like a pool type uh, place for them to skateboard? I know that's really popular skateboarders too, and put it in that dog park area that Miss um, Chapman had brought up. But I'm curious to know if, if we don't do the skate park and you move the parking there, can the artificial turf area be added to where the lower right hand corner is? so that you could accommodate maybe another linear field and another softball field there. You might have to remove one of the basketball courts or whatnot, but I, I think it would be, I, I really like this concept of the multi-use field. And if we could 
add one more softball field that also has the opportunity to be a soccer field, I think that would be like incredible because you could have, you know, a tournament there for the softball and then you'd have two teams that'd be able to play the linear sports there. Is that possible? Time and uh, because I, I think I could direct this conversation in a, in a healthy way. The benefit of having Brianna be part of the team is that uh, she works for a civil engineering landscape architecture firm and they're pretty well versed on uh, parking needs for particular uh, sports recreation elements. And so like we touched on for Nelson, typically the way that the park counts are developed are you account for uh, the both of the teams, coaches, occasionally some grandparents. Uh, for the the team that's on the field and then typically you account for uh folks that are waiting uh uh on a weekend where there's a tournament so it's almost kind of a worst case scenario this park happens to be severely underparked. uh my understanding is that um the existing conditions uh you you constantly uh find uh, cars parked in the gravel parking on the far right hand side um, and so the, the amount of parking that's proposed has been separated per all of the individual elements and the lowest element I believe is a skate park. So removing it isn't necessarily going to bring that demand down. Um, but Brianna is the expert here, so I'll turn it over to her. A tall order expert. Um, I, I think what I'll say is the, I'm not sure that there's room to add an additional field to that comment um, with, and still account for some of the other elements that uh, we've proposed in the master plan. Um, when we developed the, the park numbers in, in cooperation and coordination with the subcommittee, uh, we did take into account um, like, you know, recreation staff saying, okay, here's feasibly how many games we would program for this concept and by season. So, you know, and I don't know this off the top of my head at the moment, but we talked about, you know, when would you have, uh, would you have a softball game going on at the same time that you might have something happening on the track and uh, football field? Um, when would the basketball courts really be used, not only for playing basketball, for, but also for summer uh, camps for kids uh, because they're covered. It really allows you to do that kind of programming. And we, we, we came up with this number that we feel is, I think we even added just a little bit so that we could have some of that, as, as Nemo mentioned, um, that kind of overlap. And we even created some RV parking spots so that, um, for all the people that are coming here for these tournaments, they could actually park there um, between, you know, before they head out and leave. Um, the RV parking spot, what do you mean? Um, so we've got, yeah, right there where Nemo's pointing, we have um, basically like a circulation drive. And then there are bigger spots there where like a larger vehicle that doesn't fit into a standard parking spot could actually uh, park along that space. Will the park be closed at night? Right. This I, off. Yes. The parking area will be gated off at night. Yes. I, I believe the idea for that would be when you've got people who come and then they come the night before and then they go to the tournament and then as soon as the tournament's over they leave. 
like they could actually bring their RV there and park. Um, so I, I think that I feel like we worked really closely with the parks department and the subcommittee and all of the programming needs for recreation. And we accounted for all of the parking that these elements would require and that to touch one thing, like to, to add an additional field, it triggers a additional parking or rearranging of the parking. And then I think we really, we're really looking at a new, a new plan. And we probably lose some elements. Yeah, and I recognize that. I just, I also see that if we're doing artificial turf, it gives you a lot of flexibility. And for not that much more turf, you could flip flip a, a, flip it around, flip that around one of these smaller softball fields and add another one. You wouldn't be able to play soccer at the same time, clearly. The other part of your field could flip around and back up fence to fence. So I'm just, I'm just looking at that. I mean, if you can't get rid of the covered area, if that has another use, I just thought, you know, if we already have a skate park and that could be used for parking, we may be able to squeeze in two more amenities. That's all I have. Thank you. Councilmember Ritchie. Thank you so much. Um, Bouncing off the comments of my other councilman and councilwoman, um, I think the park was great. I, I don't want to, I personally don't want to remove anything because um, it's not equitable, right? It's maybe a saturation of, of football fields or basketball or futsal or, I mean, we have three softball fields, the turf, we eliminate the basketball, then now we're in the collecting people of like basketball in the city of Vacaville. So it's not equitable. Um, we got to make sure we have opportunity for covered basketball and, and multi-sports. Um, uh, Councilman Silva kind of took the words of my mouth, the theme. Um, I don't think people slow, have slowed down to really realize what the name Alpatch is. And so that's my little quick little conversation. It's, I think the theme's already there. It is a great opportunity for people in Vacaville to understand kind of history and heritage and certain landmarks in our city. So Alpatch, um, I know very well who he is. So Alpatch was an officer. He was a correctional officer at CMF. He actually was an officer at the same time my dad was an officer there. There was a huge riot, one of the largest riots in history, last like eight hours. Um, he was killed. And so the park, I think, they named it after him in 1980, 81. He was really loved. It was, uh, he was actually killed in a riot and a group of actually officers, group of inmates actually made a whole display inside the prison for him because he was the last guy they wanted to see die. But um, that's the name Alpatch. So it, I don't want to belittle the name of the park. It is a shared facility with the state. So my ad would be in the roundabout where the skate park is, there is about 10 large sandstone blocks. I want to find a way, the theme is already there. You can't deny the fact that in the beautiful picture you guys had, the palm trees. Well, those palm trees are one of the old paths to go to CMF prison, they just blocked it off. You'll never be able to not avoid seeing a massive prison behind you in the backdrop, remind you where you're at. I think it would be really pay homage to the amount of officers that have died throughout CDCR, throughout California, but at the facility. I wanna find a way to keep the name Alpatch Park, but just take a small little area, one monument stone and put into the monument stone History of the Park, who Alpatch is, 
when he served, how long he served for, and what happened. And just talk about the history of, you know, the officers that serve CDCR behind behind the walls, right? And then another monument stone for officers that have died on duty. Um, the story kind of hits home because I had shared this idea when um, Mayor Roulette was here. Um, I, I, I go frequently to that prison. Um, it's always good when you can leave if we want to, but. Um, so Ron Roulette Sr. was an officer there and he was there for 26 years. You know, he spent his life kind of public safety behind the walls, protecting after these gentlemen take people off the street, they don't magically disappear, they go behind prisons. So every day officers have to go there and make sure the rule of law is behind the walls. Um, he served for 26 years. After that, during retirement, while he was swimming and vacationing in Hawaii, he drowned saving a woman. So it's, I was there, there's a new organization at CMF, it's called CMF FOF, stands for Friends of the Fallen. And I brought the idea to them of like a way to kind of honor Al Patch, someone that was loving the community that died in the walls. Also for all the people that have died and passed away at CDCR in our community, just a way for them to have a stone where they can actually have their names written down. Hey, 1957, this officer died in line of duty. You know, it's just something to where they realize, wow, behind this, behind we're playing, there's many people behind those walls that there's men and women every day making sure that they stay there. And, you know, it's just a way to kind of really recognize the park for its history and go forward. It's, you know, just two stones, two benches. It'll allow all the people that have lost someone to really come there and kind of reflect. That's just my, my ask. So, so what I'm hearing is some, something to honor those, those, uh, I mean, officers. Yes. Uh, I mean, nothing, nothing we augmented. I think it's beautiful what you guys have just, just some stones, just mm -hmm. some large, they're already there. Just kind of make it so oh, along the path, you can have something that signifies, Hey, Alpatch park. What is, what, why is the name Alpatch? They can read it. I'm sorry, Mr. City Manager stepped out, but there is a there is a, a method for us to do this. Yeah. It doesn't have to be part of this master plan because we've done it. There's actually yeah. memorials in the other parks, and so I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, his 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 um, memory should be on. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I don't lose. I just that I just know that I don't okay. want I don't want to create um, such a narrow niche when there is a there's an actual process okay. that uh, can easily come to the council and say this is what we want. But I think that's a great idea. Thank you. Um, with that, um, there, there's many lights and we still haven't opened it up. Yes, you have a question. Uh, actually, I'm gonna go to uh, Councilmember Chapman. She's been waiting a long time. Thank you. Um, I have one, two, three, five items listed here. Uh, the skate park. When I saw the skate park, I wasn't thinking that the skate park from Three Oaks was, was you were thinking of moving that to El Patch. The skate park at, at Three Oaks, it, um, I think Filippi, um, the engineer, is he's an architecture. Um, anyway, he had a fundraiser, but a lot of community people came together and pulled funds to build a uh, skate park at Three Oaks. And I don't see that just being, up, you know, just getting rid of it and moving it or having it built again. Um, 
at El Patch. Right. That was when an I idea. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, when I saw Skate Park, skating has become, um, it's back. You see people rollerblading, rollerblading again. And that is what I thought of when I saw skating, skate park. Uh, and so that may be a thought to have an area where people can come out because you you see people, yeah, bring in. The other thing, uh, the water play. Uh, is there a way to include uh, a water play area at L Patch? Um, if it could be considered. And then I'm just going to put everything out that, uh, that I have written here, and you can say yay, nay, or whatever. Pickleball, which is, has, is another popular uh, sport. Um, and I know that we had someone come to the council meeting speaking of the pick, uh, pickleball area, I think, in North Village. Please, yeah, um, pickleball and then tennis. I didn't see any other sports other than uh, basketball, softball, soccer noted here. And uh, we have young people that are interested in other activities, other sports. Um, I would like to have something else added not removed or if you need to eliminate one field and bring something else in. So lots of questions. I'm going to do my best to answer. Um, uh, in terms of the uh, uh, water feature, we certainly can accommodate that in the area that's designated for the play elements. Uh, one of the things that we try to do is um, we take a, a holistic view in all of the park efforts that we've got. So we don't want all the parks to have exactly the same amenities. We've already got some uh, uh, water features going into some of the other parks. Uh, similarly, we've got some pickleball courts going in at Roberts Ranch. We've got some coming in or proposed at Nelson. I don't think every park has to have uh, pickleball courts. We want to make sure that we're sort of distributing it around the cities to make sure that different uh, folks have easy access to these elements, but all of that's taken into account when we do these master plans. Um, that doesn't mean that we can't uh, have further discussions about whether we convert maybe uh, some of the basketball courts because we've got the real estate to do that, to do both, right? It's just a matter of uh, uh, coming back and making sure that we're, uh, from like a amenity standpoint, that we're, we're providing um, enough of the elements that we are saying that we're going to as part of our park and rec master plan. In terms of tennis courts, uh, so uh, with certain amenities, we've got a level of service. That happens to be one of them. We're exceeding the number of courts that we're saying uh, in our meetings with the tennis folks and the pickleball court folks. I mean, they've got similar but different needs. Um, we do, we have zero designated uh, pickleball courts. And so really what we're trying to do is just trying to get some of those online. Um, with tennis, they they acknowledge that we have, you know, what we're saying that we're going to have in terms of the number of courts uh, uh, per our population, which is how it's uh, designated in, in the Park and Rec Master Plan. What they want is sort of a, one area where they can have tournaments. So one area with multiple courts. Um, and so we're doing our best to sort of tackle all these things kind of individually. It's difficult to see it when we're presenting one master plan to understand that we do take all those things into account, but we're doing our best. Yeah. I may add, um, 
considering the um, the area, many of our young, many of our, we have many children, young folks that lived in the apartments, a lot of apartments in the area, they don't have access to transportation to get to some of the other community parks. And so we have to bring additional or some of these same amenities to them and El Patch is that park. And so I would like you to seriously consider, think about some, some, some amenities that are at other parks duplicated at El Patch. I, one of the things I will say is that's a question that we'll leave sitting there because it was more of like a, a, so I'd like to continue to move on so that we can get to public comment because we still have to come back. Uh, Vice Mayor Wiley. Thanks for the information. It looks interesting. I will just say that a while ago when you were talking about the skate park, that that didn't generate very many cars. And that's one reason is, you know, it's more individual, but a lot of people also walk. And where that's located, it's right on busy streets with California and Peabody. And just on the other side of Peabody, there's a whole lot of houses. So it could generate a lot of people crossing that way. And then as council members, Chapman mentioned, there's apartments there. They could be walking across California. So I think it's just a safety concern just to have people walking. And so I don't know if, if there's any way to make it safer for crossing in multiple places so that kids could walk to the skate park because oftentimes those are the kids that you know are on their phone or something everyone's responsible for their own safety but it's it's a busy street both ways and as we discussed with the nelson um, park master plan the um once we start to activate the, these phases we'll work with traffic to make sure that those safety issues are taken into account um whether it be i think someone said you know the little ballards or the flashing um, crossing lights that, that cross at certain areas, but we'll make sure that they're in, um, that traffic is in on this, on the design once we get these activated. Did you have another question? Yeah, I'm good. Councilmember Stockton, you had your light on earlier. Do you still have Yeah, we'll get the public comment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the one question I have is, um, it looks like there's gonna be, I just now pulled it up, um, from 165 parking spaces to 588, and that's based upon your numbers. Is that because each of those elements need to be activated, and so that's been by design? Clearly, there's there's it's all enclosed, and you're right next to Peabody Road. Just want to make sure that that's the appropriate parking that's allowed, because parking always becomes an issue. That's one. The other question is: Is the basketball courts considered? Uh, are they to be lighted? Yes. The basketball courts will be lighted, yes. Okay. And the skate park? I don't I don't think there's intention on lighting the skate park. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Nemo. No. Okay. There wasn't. Okay. If if for some reason those um, walkways that are connecting will will those pathways have just basic uh, overhead lighting? Security lighting. Security lighting. Yeah. Especially if for whatever whatever reason an area is converted to a dog park, then you've got you've got some additional use right next to California Drive. I just want to make sure lighting is a big deal. It, it, again, it activates our parks. Right. This is considered a regional park, community park. Yeah, I mean community park, not a neighborhood park. Not a neighborhood park, no. Uh, which is going to cause people to want to drive to it more than 
it's nice to be able to activate people who can walk to it at the same time. The parking spaces are recognizing that you're going to be bringing people from the outside. Right. Okay, those are those are my questions. I want to open it up to the public for a comment and we'll bring a question right quick. Um, I noticed also there's only one restroom um, in this plan, master plan. Uh, there's two. There's a, one that's already constructed, and then that's a combination restroom concession building, and then we're uh, the, the updated master plan is adding a second restroom. Oh, okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. No, but to the public for comment. Now's your time. Seeing none, I'm going to close public comment and bring it back to the council for any further discussions. There might be some amendments I can see on this one, but uh, one of the questions and comments I would have to to my peers up here is: This came before the the Planning Commission or the Parks and Rec Commission, excuse me. A couple of years ago and so the one i guess the question comment is has there been a significant change we've gone through a pandemic and the assessment hasn't changed i'm, a, I'm i don't want to assume it but the assessment for this the needs for this park the assessments haven't changed for the the amenities that we've added in this park and the parks and recommission you brought this back to the parks and recommission several times Correct process, and uh, they did the analysis for this. Correct. The current, at least some of the current uh, commissioners. A, a few, not not all. Okay. Um, I'm bringing it back to the, the council for any other comments, or I'll entertain a motion. The motion that is here is uh, approve the Alpatch Park master plan update at this time. Do I have a motion? With consideration of comments made. Wants to make that you want to make that motion? I will make that motion. I'll make the motion. Motion is approved. Comment number one to for the usage of already city. And body issue was covered. Satisfying. Um, I couldn't hear all of it, but you heard it. I, I think we addressed the lighting, so I don't need to add the, the lighting was was sufficiently put into the, the fastball and everything. So I think that's the one amendment we like to at least address, and having having the theme, having a theme and possible artwork. So we have a motion. Do we have a second? I'll second. Second. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Well, thank you very much for the. Um, for the presentation and uh, the motion passes. With that, we're going to uh, move on to item 10, reports of the city manager. Do we have any this evening? I have none this evening, thank you. Thank you for all the hard work. It's, thank you. Yes, thank you. We'll move on to uh, reports of the city council. Council member Silva. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so just kind of following from our previous meeting, uh, one thing that we've constantly brought up, or some of us brought up from uh, council for at least my past two years, is a lot of concern about uh, uh, home buyers uh, uh, understanding what the situation is with schools and enrollment um, and new development. Um, so what I'd like to do is actually to make a motion um, for staff to bring back a policy that 
would require uh, any um, any real estate agent, anybody, any seller, anybody who's selling a home uh, to have a one page simple document that uh, educates the home buyer of what the current, uh, what the enrollment status is of the schools that are within that public, uh, within that public uh, school district of that particular home uh, within a six month update. Um, so just to reiterate, the motion is uh, for staff to bring back uh, at least a discussion and, a, and a, at some type of working example of a one page document that would be required uh, for any home buyer to sign, acknowledging that they understand what the current enrollment status and availability is for each grade level uh, within uh, the K-12 system. It'll be a discussion because obviously how quick, how often it would be updated. But So that's your motion, mm -hmm. right? Any, any, uh, any second on that? Um, let, yeah, me give some, let me give some, maybe yeah, some. None of us up here understand. <clears throat> so for, um, for some time now, uh, we hear, we hear home buyers saying, oh, um, I purchased this home. We didn't know, um, they said that we're going to get a new school or I didn't, I wouldn't have bought in a house here if I knew that the schools were over impacted. Um, we continue to, you know, trying to soft through this. I think it's important that us as a city council protect our, our home buyers um, and our residents to make sure that they're appropriately informed. Um, what I'm requesting is that staff bring back uh, for discussion as a council um, the possibility of implementing an ordinance that would require uh, anybody who is selling a home to a to a, a home buyer that they have to acknowledge and understand what the enrollment status is. Or the K twelve system that there's that they're uh, that they're within the boundaries of, um, with some type of consequences if they don't. Um, the goal is to make sure that our residents, our our home buyers, uh, are informed of what's going on uh, with respect to uh, enrollment status of schools. Not for now. I don't know. I if we know can... you have a motion. Well, yeah, you have, you have a motion. motion. We so don't have. We don't have a second. So unless we have a second, we don't need to. Understand the the importance of some of the things that we've heard. But looking at this, I I don't see. I don't see a second. Well, I will so second I... bringing back the discussion. Yeah. Not that we're not having that discussion now. We will have a discussion at a later time. I, I suggest that we can do that. I mean, if we have a motion and a second and bring it back, one of the, the comments is, is that we, you know, we do have a priorities discussion and we do have, we do have some of you that are on the different um, two by twos that can entertain some discussions. I mean, I worry about realtors are all over the place and they don't necessarily operate in Vacaville solely and to try and to create something that, that has the best of intentions can create, you know, unintended consequences. and. Without maybe creating a challenge between the school district, try and find a way to leverage a relationship with them to come up with something that does work. Mr. City Manager, comment? If I could, um, I, I think that uh, staff has heard you very loud and clear in terms of the concerns about 
um, helping our public understand what is uh, occurring in their neighborhood and, and you know, what are the opportunities that we can do to help with that? Because as we've shared with the council before in those situations, you know, there's what the state law requires, which we already exceed. And then there's how do we go above and beyond that? And so I know that as part of the May 12th uh, meeting, um, we have a variety of different efforts that we're working on, um, not only through our public relations managers, um, as well as our community development department, um, public works, and involving parks and, and so forth and everything. And so, um, you know, we were pre preparing to bring that to council for discussion and consideration. And uh, not to say, um, you know, a formal position on, on the motion before you tonight, um, my concern as I hear that is, is as you talk about ordinance and, and consequences and penalties, um, my first question to that is, is how do you enforce that? And so when you start talking about ordinances and that so forth. That could be a part of our discussion. Exactly. And so what I'm suggesting is, is before we put a lot of effort into ordinance guidelines and so forth, that we can expand that conversation that I was talking about us preparing to include those elements and in, in some of the, um, the challenges or the opportunities um, for addressing some of the comments brought up tonight as part of that dialogue on May 12th. And then depending on where the council wants to go, then we can get some more direction from you all as how far you'd like to push as a collective council. With that, uh, Vice Mayor Wiley. Well, I was just for the next comment. <laughs> well, uh, you had mentioned that you were willing to second. Right, I mean, I second it. Yes, I've already seconded it. Okay, so with that. Um, but yeah. I don't want to discuss it because we're not discussing it. Well, that's fine. So we have a motion and a second. So with that, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? Um, no. no. So with that, it passes. So it will be, it will be brought back as a discussion if i understand that right yeah i just, I just want to add a, a little bit of you know clarity of what um but what the discussion is we're gonna have a session later there's a few also there's a few opportunities and possibilities to to really reach what i think silva the heart of his, what he's wanting to do he want to make it a one-page form that's accessible for the community um it's it's difficult so the way it works you have the you have NAR, the no, national. Yeah, we're not we're not going to discuss it. If we're going to bring it back. Oh, okay. Yeah. But the, the, there's there's three there's yeah. three groups that you well, can hyperlink. Yes. I know. To get it done. We're not going to discuss it. Okay. What we did is we, we had a motion second to bring it back, and that's and it's totally fine. Because okay. um, that's the that is definitely the the prerogative of the council, yeah. and, and the vote passed. The motion is is moving forward, and so that's the direction is to bring that back. So, uh, with that, uh, Councilmember Silva, did you have anything else? Uh, um, actually, I just want to thank you for taking the time to spend a few hours at Solano College on Friday, um, getting to know the program out there and, you know, making sure, you know, getting caught up to speed with a lot of information uh, that, you know, city manager and uh, attorney and the staff have been working at. So I just appreciated you taking the time for that. Well, thank you. It was a very interesting experience with uh, all the kids with Kairos to really see the biomanufacturing that's um, the training process that's out there we're very fortunate to have that and uh, i was very impressed with uh, you working with the kids and very impressive so thank you for the invitation vice mayor wiley 
I, I just have a couple comments that I wanted to mention. And one of them is that Travis Air Force Base has been really busy during the month of March and they've had several op um, different um, observations. And today on Friday, they're going to have Operation Homecoming, which is recognizing the 50th anniversary of the POD, POWs returning to Travis Air Force Base after Vietnam. And so it'll be a, a really nice ceremony and there will actually be some POWs at that uh, celebration. So I'm looking forward to attending that. And also I serve on the Yolo Solana Air Quality Management Board and we have hired a new executive director, uh, Ms. Gretchen Bennett, who comes to us from Grass Valley as a air quality management person already. And the third thing is that we're, this is our last meeting in March, last week of March, and we've had a pretty successful Women's History Month. And earlier this week, I attended the Women's History Luncheon that was sort of put on by the Solano County Commission on Women and Girls. So it was a very a great experience and there were a lot of uh, people there. And last but last not least, on April 15th, there is the community cleanup in District 6 and that there, there's information on the website. So scan the QR code and volunteer. So that will be great in Needham. And then on May 6th, we will also have a cleanup just in the whole District 6, not just that street. So those are my comments for tonight. Thank you. And uh, seeing no other comments from the council, I wanna um, just say thank you to staff for all the work that you're doing one of the things that I do believe that is important in the future is as we, as we do lay out our strategic um, goals and we do have the, the meeting in May, it's, this is an example tonight of the importance of understanding what our commissions are doing, whether it's parks and rec or planning. And, and so I'm hoping in the future for the opportunity for, for the commissions to truly understand what the directions of this council are. And I think that that's what you saw tonight is a council that has not had a chance to weigh in on some of the master plans, actually begin to, to voice some feelings and opinions about the future of Vacaville. And activities for our, our youth and families are at, at the highest priority. So thank you. And with that, we're going, we do not have any closed session tonight. So we're going to adjourn in uh, this, this regular scheduled council meeting. So with that, good night, Vacaville. Thank you.